Today's episode of The Doctor's Companion is brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. episode of the doctor's companion this is episode 35 and uh with me again i have uh i have matt smith hello how you doing welcome welcome um and we today we're going to be talking about the uh patrick troughton uh era episode of classic doctor who uh the invasion which is uh, a fun cyberman story can't wait mm-hmm. to start talking about that um but before we get into it I want to remind everybody that we're from the website GeekShowEntertainment.com where we like geeky stuff and occasionally we talk about that stuff in podcasts. Geek Show Entertainment is a podcast network and we have new episodes released Monday through Friday, shows that include The Doctor's Companion, which you're listening to right now and is now a weekly show. Hooray! Uh, Geekin' and Geekin' Extra, which is our, our weekly um, entertainment news and discussion show that I do with my co-host Randy McKinney. Uh, Queen Witch is a patio book series written by Nick Jimenez and Movie Night at Geek Show, which is a movie review kind of uh, uh, movie of the week uh, club show that I do with um, John Pavlich and uh, Nick Jimenez. And uh, then we've got more shows on the way. Uh, I actually, I've actually spent uh, most of my day after getting off of work today listening to um, pilot episodes for new podcast submissions. So Ooh, uh, yeah, so, exciting. Yeah, that was really exciting. So we've got a uh, we've got a few uh, a few new ones coming. That should be um, right around the corner. Their premiere. So um, you can listen to those podcasts by streaming them on the website or subscribing to the shows on iTunes. Also, you can go to the website and join our community by commenting on episodes or articles that we regularly post on the site. And if you've listened to any of our shows and you like what you hear, or even if you don't, help us out by leaving an iTunes review. iTunes reviews are the best way uh, for people to find our shows and decide if they might be worth listening to, um, especially if they're five-star reviews. Just saying. <laughs> we um, like those. <laughs> yes, we do like those. Uh, we can also, uh, you can also let us know how we're doing with comments, concerns, or suggestions by emailing the show at tdc at geekshow.us. Um, and then, uh, as I said at the top of the show, we're sponsored by InStockTrades.com, DCBService.com, InStockTrades.com. Go there, buy trade paperbacks, hardcover collections, absolute editions, all that good stuff. Um, all orders over $50 have free shipping. And uh, this month's book of the month is Power Girl, A New Beginning by Justin Gray, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Amanda Connor. And you can get that for eleven fifteen or 38% off the suggested retail price of seventeen ninety nine. And then uh, DCB Service is their sister site where you get all your monthly uh, floppies, all your monthly comic book statues, action figures, basically anything you can get from your local comic book shop. You place your orders three months in advance using the quote-unquote diamond method um, with monthly discounts up to 75% off and regular discounts of 40% off. Plus, pre-order your collected editions there and save 50% off rather than the regular uh, 38% off from in-stock trades. Uh, ship as often as you like with orders as large or small as you like, and you only pay five ninety five in flat rate shipping. So thanks to DCBService.com. All right, so uh, let's get started with the invasion. Uh, Matt, what do you got for us in background and significance? 
Um, okay, well, the invasion, I guess I'll start by, um, uh, just discussing where the show kind of goes after we left it last, um, just in general overarching, like, themes and stuff. Uh, well, since we left, um, we left last at, um, the Daleks, which was the second story in the Hartnell era. Um, so Hartnell, um, William Hartnell be is the doctor for three years up until about 1966, um, when he gets actually so ill that, uh, then producer Ennis Lloyd, and I forget the script producer, uh, script editor, I think his name was Jerry Davis at the time, um, got together and they, they got together with him and his wife and they said, look, you're kind of ill and we don't want to end the show, uh, let's continue on and you know, introduced this new idea of the Doctor being able to regenerate himself, which was at the time called Renewal. Um, and Hartnell said yes, and he said, uh, there's only one agreement that I'll agree to, and that is that um, the next Doctor needs to be Patrick Troughton, and he can't be, he has to be really faithful to what I did before. So they bring in this guy named Patrick Troughton, who initially declined the thing he'd been well known through um, a bunch of other, you know, TVs and mo TV and movies throughout his, um, his career, and I, I think at the time he was about, if Hartnell, I looked it up um, after last week's show, and Hartnell was, I think, 55 when he took over the Doctor. Um, Troughton, when he took over, was 52, and I I could go on about Troughton a lot, um, I won't for the, for the sake of argument now, but Troughton, to me, is one of the most important Doctors, probably the most important Doctor, because he's the one who, who basically took the Doctor... Um, and made him almost an entirely new character while still kind of actually being really true to the Hartnell's vision, at least in base character traits. But Hart uh, Troughton comes in, and Troughton basically creates this new persona who's kind of like this cosmic hobo, um, which is <laughs> a great description of Troughton. Mm -hmm. um, and Troughton... How do, how do I say this? Like, they had a lot of trouble coming into it, how they were going to... Um, make him the doctor i think at one point they said they were going to do blackface which i think is really funny um also awful but you know funny um <laughs> and, and this is what happens when you take african-american film classes um so the um so Troughton comes in and he becomes the doctor and um he goes for like three seasons and then he ends at uh, in 1969 uh the invasion is a story that is in it's it's towards the beginning of Troughton's third season uh third and final season and it actually comes at a point when the show is about to change. Uh, for the companions, we have uh, Jamie, who was... Um, he, he first showed up in The Highlanders, which was Troughton's second story. And if you if you go and look, like, Troughton and Fraser Hines, who played Jamie, all but they both had really great working relationships. And when Troughton eventually comes back to do The Two Doctors in uh, 1985, 86... Um, no, what was it? Yeah, it was about 85, 86. When Troughton comes back to do the two Doctors when he teams up with Colin Baker's Doctor, one of his reasons was that he wanted to hang out with Fraser Hines. So, um, the Doctor and Jamie are these really, is this really great companion pairing, and they're also joined by the ever-so-wonderful Wendy Padbury, who plays Zoe. Um, we'll talk more about her. Uh, but basically, uh, The Invasion is the story that is, it's about the Cybermen. And it's based on a story by Kit Pedler, who created the Cybermen. He was the, um scientific advisor for the show, actually pretty much all the way through uh, Troughton's run and for some of the very end of Hartnell. Um, and he created these I this idea about these robots um, who weren't really robots, but really people who were just, you know, who, who had all emotions stripped away from them and were basically cyborgs. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Cybermen, so I'm, I, you know, you throw in the Cybermen and I'm kind of on board. But the invasion is really the culmination of three years worth of Cybermen stories in the sense of 
Troughton um, went up against the Cybermen four times. Hartnell went up against them in his final story. And this is really... Before this, they had a bunch of different Cybermen stories. Like, there was a Cyberman inv invading a moon base, and there were the there's a great, phenomenal Troughton story called Tomb of the Cybermen, where they go to a tomb on the Cybermen's uh, on one of the Cybermen's colony worlds called Telos. Um, and then there's an another one where they invade this uh, space station. But the invasion is really Kit Peddler's idea of taking the Cybermen and having them invade Earth and making it a really close to home sort of thing. And that's only significant because Troughton's era is marked by like this real like action-packed sort of uh, completely different thing as opposed to what Hartnell was doing. Like if you watch, like what do you think, Scott? Like after the Daleks, like coming from the Daleks to this, like you can tell that Doctor Who is a completely different show just six years later. Oh, right? it's it's it was astounding actually. That yeah. was one of the things I was gonna I was gonna bring up definitely. Oh yeah, like and Troughton's era is marked by a lot of action, like tons of aliens. Uh, the Cybermen show up like four times with Troughton, and that's not even counting the time that they show up in the Tenth Planet with Hartnell. So they showed up like five times in three years. Um, so they showed up a lot, and this this story actually becomes a very interesting. It's it. The invasion is really interesting for a number of reasons. One, because it's the um, it's really like the start of the Pertwee era. Um, if you go and look at the Pertwee era, which is uh, we're we're gonna start talking about it next week, but the Pertwee era sees the Doctor confined to Earth for five years during during uh, the Third Doctor's incarnation, and the invasion is really the first time that the Doctor has this interesting sort of Earth and Earth base story with a bunch of aliens coming in and invading and the doctor has to team up with this new group called unit and he has to basically show up with the brigadier and you know save the day and i think that's really interesting because without this story the pertwee era would be completely different because ideally this would be done to save cost to save costs which um the pertwee era was very conscious of at least in its first season um, so to me, that's why the invasion is really important. Um, one other thing I would like to point out just really quickly is that this is the first uh, story to be script edited by the fantastic Terrence Dix. Um, uh, we talk a lot about um, producers and script editors here, especially when we get to the Tom Baker stuff and uh, especially into the Jonathan Nathan Turner years. But Terrence Dix is really significant because Terrence Dix starts here. Um, he's a very young he's a very young writer, young upstart, and he. Starts script editing here. He he co-writes the end of Troughton and basically script write, script edits for you know the next five years for all of Pertwee. Every single Pertwee story is script edited by Terrence Dix. So I think it's really interesting that that sort of you know flavor and ethos kind of starts here. And really, I think that's it. Um, that's really that's the very sort of um, that's a very quick run through of it. Uh, and we'll go into more about, like, the action and the fun adventure. Uh, but really, you can tell just, you know, s six years later, because this is really towards the end of Troughton's run, that it's it's such a different show. It's it's completely different. And the focus is, like, last time there was a big focus on, like, education and all that stuff, but now it's not even the, it's not even the same thing. So Yeah, it's it's much more theatrical. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, I was actually taken aback at how... Uh, the the cinematography and the shots and things were really impressive mm -hmm. in this. Well, it's um, Douglas Camfield. I forget what else he's directed. I think he directed. Um, hang on, let me just look that up real quick. We can edit this out. Um, 
He directed... Okay. It's directed by Douglas Camfield, who also directed The Time Meddler, which is a which is a really... I, I mean, I didn't really like it the first time, but the more I think about it, the more I really enjoy it, which is a really significant story. He directed The Daleks Master Plan. He directed the really, really fantastic Pertwee story, which is called Inferno. At least he started to direct it, and then it was taken over by Barry, by Barry Letts. And then he also directed The Seeds of Doom, which is a really, really great Tom Baker story. Um, so okay. it, it really... I mean, I really, yeah, I, I see what you mean about how it's a completely different thing, which is also aided by the fact that part of it is actually animated, which I, I mean, we talked about it a little bit uh, amid, uh, in between recordings last week, but um, I, I love that they recorded um, some nice animation for this. Uh, yeah. Back in the day, the BBC would just, like, take the tapes that they had for, you know, original Doctor Who, and they just wipe them to save some money. So they would basically trace over all these old stories and they would be completely lost, like, you know, whitewashing a painting to save canvas. And so a lot of the Troughton era is completely missing. Like, I think half of it just doesn't exist in in video form anymore. All of it exists in an audio format, but um, most of it doesn't exist in the in a video. So what happened is for this one, the first and fourth episodes were missing. So the BBC went in and approved them to animate some of it. Um, and we'll talk about the animation in a little bit, but, you know, kind of cool it's, that they did that. Yeah, I wish they would do that with, with more of them. Oh, sure. so good. Like, it, yeah. it just, it, you can tell the difference between, um, you can tell the difference just watching this that it would just, it just feels like a Saturday morning cartoon in a really great sort of action-packed way, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, but like, uh, you know, we were talking last week how, how Hartnell's episode was very, like, old time like serialized like that's that's what it felt like mm-hmm. um this didn't feel like that at all it's like mm-hmm. i said it's like really theatrical and and cinematic um mm-hmm. had a totally totally different feel yeah so and, and like if you if you look like the you can go through the um the daleks and see that there's like i think maybe three major action sequences there's the ambush there's the bit at the end and then there's like the part where Ian gets shot and the part where they escape. Like that's really it. But mm-hmm. this like there's some action like right at the get go. Like you you they hit the play button. You've got you're they're already in the middle of a really cool breakneck adventure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So All right. Well, uh let's without further ado, let's get into episode 1. Okay. So, first of all, thank God there are no more episode titles. Oh, Oh, I hate yeah. those. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so part one we have um, uh, it's animated. This is one of the uh, this is one of the two episodes that's animated. Part one and part four are animated. So we start part one with the TARDIS reforming, which comes at um, I don't know. Did you think that was kind of weird when you were watching it? Just to start off. Oh, like well, like the very first episode being the animated. First, no, not even the animation. Just the first shot of this story is the TARDIS kind of coming back together. Did you think that was weird? That was a little bizarre. Yeah. Do you know what that is? No. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you right now. That's the end of The Mind Robber, which is a really fantastic uh, Trouton story. I encourage everyone to go watch it. It's on Netflix Instant if you have Netflix. Fantastic stuff. Um, anyway, so that's what that is if you were wondering what that was. Okay. Um, I just kind of went with it at the time, yeah. but I was it was a head-scratcher. That it was yeah. just... <laughs> well, it, it continues the tradition of um, stories bleeding into each other um, that even moves through the, uh, the Hartnell stories and kind of leaves at the end of the Trouton era. Um, they pick it up a couple times, but really that's where it ends. Anyway, so so we have the TARDIS crew, and everyone's like, "Oh, we're really awesome, and we're we we made it out of the Mind Robber, and we're we're all hanging out, and we're on the dark side of the moon, and we're but we're stopped in space, and we don't know what's going on." And 
we have the doctor and Jamie and Zoe, um, and they're all kind of they're all in the TARDIS, and then they look out the scanner and they see that they see that they're on the dark side of the moon. And they're like, oh, that's kind of interesting, and we're near Earth. And then they notice that there's something there, and they don't know what it is. And then all of a sudden, they notice that there's a giant missile coming right for them. And, you know, we, we were talking just a few minutes ago about how it's completely different in tone. This is the moment where I was just like, holy crap, this got, you know, this got really action-packed. Like, really, mm-hmm. like right off the bat, you have, you know some random things like shooting missiles at the TARDIS and there's a big struggle to try and get everything, you know, going. And there's a lot of shouting between Jamie, Zoe and the doctor. And they're like, Oh my gosh, we have to get out of here. And the doctor starts whacking on the TARDIS, which I thought is really funny. Um, uh-huh. As you go through it, Troughton's like, Troughton seems to also hate technology, but where, where Hartnell would have like a sort of, you know, a passive aggressive tone, Hartnell's uh, not Hartnell. Troughton's really just like bashing on things, which I think is <laughs> just like outwardly sh- aggressive. Yeah. Just shouting on it. Like the, the, thing that I always think of is when he's like, work, you stupid machine! And you're just like, oh, okay. Alright. <laughs> there we go. Um, but they do manage to make it away, and there's an explosion, but the TARDIS manages to get away, and the missile explodes, but we also see a weird spaceship fly right by um, the camera, and we zoom in on Earth, and the TARDIS crew lands on Earth in a, in a, in a field somewhere. And they look out, and they see this, um, they see, they see a cow, which I thought was funny, um, yeah, you know, I'll I'll say the animated uh, Patrick Troughton always looks like he's up to something. I love it. He just, yeah, it's like the way they animate him, like the the uh, sort of expression that he has frozen on his face because mm-hmm. it's animated, but it's it's just barely a step above flash animation, you right. know. So the facial expressions, like a lot of them, are just kind of stuck in one position. Mm-hmm. Um, and they move their and, heads and their mouths, and that's really it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is fine. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's you take definitely you better than nothing for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, he always has a look on his face like like he's about to do something terrible. Like, mm-hmm. well, that's he's like tra- about to sneak up to some sleeping woman in a dark room. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, okay, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna give her a hug or are you gonna just you know <laughs> knife her? And you're just like, oh boy. Um, but yeah, yeah, exactly. that's that's the Trouton thing. I mean, a lot of people have always said that the Trouton is very much uh, where Hartnell was more of a grandfather a la Susan. Um, not that Susan's a grand, Susan's the granddaughter, not the grandfather. Um, <laughs> but as opposed to Hartnell, Troughton was very much like the really funny looking uncle who would let you sneak a cookie from the cookie jar when your mother wasn't looking, um, mm-hmm. which I think is just perfect. Like that's totally who Troughton kind of is. Um, yeah. so, so they're in this field and they see this cow and they laugh at the cow. And then all of a sudden they, they, the doctor notices that some circuits are, are faulty, so he pulls them out of the TARDIS, and they're like, hey, let's go visit this guy named Professor Travers, who we saw on The Web of Fear, which I've heard is really good. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but it's one of the ones that I'm really excited to watch, because it's one of the, it's whenever you hear the Brigadier talk about the Yeti, that's the story. Um, uh... And it's, yeah, and it's, it's, it's apparently, like, people have said that it's one of the best out of the Trouton era, which is really one of my favorite eras. Um... So they exit the TARDIS, and the TARDIS goes invisible, and they, they walk out towards the road, and they, they get to the road, and they find this guy, and this guy's just driving in a truck, and they stop the truck, and, and, and Trouton's like, hey, can we get a ride to town? The guy's just like, get in the back. And Trouton's like, oh, that's so kind of you, and the guy's like, just shut up and get in the back, which <laughs> I thought was so funny, because <laughs> it's, it's very clear that something is wrong, but... 
Um, it's kind of it's kind of amusing, and I love I I love the look that Troughton kind of has this like smile on his face. He's like, oh, that's so kind of you, and the guy's just like, shut up. And Troughton just kind of frowns. He's like, okay, I guess I'll go get in the back, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> so the Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe all climb into the back of this truck, and they start driving away, and they're followed by these two really weird-looking um, motorcycle uh, guys on motorcycles, and they pull off the road and they get out of the truck and this guy starts talking about this weird company and he's like why are you here how'd you get past the gates i'm trying to get out and the doctor's like well we don't know we're just we just showed up we don't know what we're doing so the guy's like look just get back in the truck don't say anything i'll get you out of here um and then you got to get on your way and Tron's like all right i, I guess i could do that um so sorry i keep i i have this bad uh I have this bad habit of calling doctors by their um, by their stage names as opposed to like the doctor says this. Um, so if I do that, I, I apologize profusely. But you well, know, I think I think for people who might not want to go back and watch the episode, it gives them a more of a mental image of what okay. they're. Right yeah, on. So no, I think it works. People who aren't watching enjoy, as I say, Troughton over and over again. Um, <laughs> now, um, so they get back in the truck and they manage to get out of this compound, and it's really I really like this because. Um, the the animation here, say what you will about the animation and how they're not able to completely reconstruct um, exactly how it looked with the sets or the camera angles, but everything here, I remember watching this the first time I watched this, and the tone and the way that it moves, it just has this really dark, ominous feel all through it. You can kind of feel that something's not right, and it, it, it just has this really great feel to it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like there's and so the guy manages to get them off this compound and and he's um and so they they manage to escape and the guy like pulls over to the side of the road and he's like okay get out and they're like all right so they get out and they walk <laughs> away and then um as the guy gets back in the truck and he notices that these or and as he closes the truck back up and I guess uh, the doctor Zoe and Jamie manage to get away uh, the two motorcycle dudes come up behind him and he's and they're just like let me see your papers the guy's like whatever you're not on you're, we're not on your compound you can't do anything and the guys pull guns on him and when i saw this like as if the missile wasn't enough to tip you off that this is a completely different era like you have now you have people with guns like pointing at this guy which is you know it's so much more real and different than a dalek with a with a laser cannon you know yeah <laughs> so they pull out these guns and they just pointed at him he's like what are you gonna do and then they shoot him and they kill him in cold blood which i thought was it, again, like, telling you that you're in a completely different world here. Like, this is not the Doctor Who of six years ago. I mean, clearly it's not, but I mean, you know, I, I still get shocked when they shoot him. Because the, they just gun him down, which is kind of mm-hmm. nuts. Um, so he goes down, and again, like, a, a really great sort of, um, like, choice of they don't show the motorcycle people's eyes because they have blinders on and stuff. Anyway, so the doctor and Jamie and Zoe head into London, and they hitchhike, which I think is really funny, because um, you have the cosmic hobo hitchhiking. Um, and so they get <laughs> they get to the um, they get to the they get to the city and they locate um, the house of Professor Travers, but they instead they find this photographer chick named uh, Isabel Watkins, um, and they, she drains that she drowns them in exposition. And and it's basically like, okay, well, Professor Travers went to America, but I, I live here with my, with my uh, I guess, was it grandfather or uncle? I don't remember. I think it was uncle. Uncle. Yeah, uncle. I think it was uncle. Because um, I, think, I think that's, I think uh, the, the other professor was his, or that, that's, that's her grandfather, and then this is right. her uncle. 
Okay, yeah. right, right, right. So it's her uncle, and he's working at this place called Electro- International Electromatics, which I'll only mention elect- International Electromatics here, but um, as a tip-off, if you watched um, the new stuff, like the new David Tennant era stuff, there's a part where they go to the alternate Earth in the episode with the Cybermen, uh, where they create the Cybermen, and I don't know if you noticed this. I, I don't see how you possibly could have, but... In that episode, the company that the main evil guy is working for is International Electromatics, which I think is awesome. Um, That's really funny, considering that uh, Tobias Vaughn, which we'll get to in just a second, reminds me so much of that guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Although, Tobias Vaughn is totally able to walk upright and, you know, has a bunch of different secrets to him. But, well, yeah, he, I, he has think... a different deficiency, uh, a blinking mm-hmm. one. I don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. He, he can walk, but for some reason he can't open his eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll get to Tobias Vaughn and his strokes in a minute. Um, so, then, <laughs> so, so uh, the doctor, the doctor is um, is like, okay, well, I need to talk to Professor Watkins because I need to get the circuitry checked out because he can help me for whatever reason. The doctor is apparently incapable of of helping out his own TARDIS, which I blame on Troughton hating technology. Um, so they, they go in and they find, uh, the doctor finds a phone and he calls International Electromatics where, uh, Isabel's, uh, uncle is, uh, Professor Watkins. And he, he gets a computer and he's like, a stupid computer, because it doesn't really connect him to anywhere. So he's like, all right, let's go check it out. So he gets together with Jamie and is like, come on, Zoe. And Zoe's like, no, I'm modeling for Isabel the photographer. And they're like, <laughs> oh, okay, I guess, I guess we're going to be okay with that. So <laughs> the doctor and Jamie show up at International Electromatics, and they don't know that they're being watched, but they're being watched by a car that's across the street. Um, and they, they come up against this automatic secretary, which is just a computer, and he's like, and the doctor's like, the doctor has this really funny exchange with the computer, which is just like, which is just like, I would like to speak to someone, and the, person's, and the computer's just like, well, there's no one available, and the doctor's like, are you sure? It's an emergency, and she's like, say the nature of the emergency, he's like, I don't want to, just give me to someone, and they, they refuse, so the doctor and Jimmy are like, alright, so they start wandering around, and they explore, and they're being watched by this dude named Tobias Vaughn, who's the, um, He's the, I think he's like the vice, the, the head dude of uh, International Electromatics. I forget his exact mm-hmm. title, but he's, he's the, like, he's in charge, and he's the bad guy. I hate to spoil yeah. that for you, but he's yeah, the pre- president, pre- full time president of International Electronics, part time Bond villain. Right, exactly. <laughs> Although more and more Bond villain as we get going, because I don't see him dealing with any sort of office bureaucracy at all as he goes on. <laughs> no. um, so, so the Doctor and Jamie are captured, and they go up against Vaughn, and, and Jamie, Jamie is really funny. I like Jamie because um, you're dealing with... Normally when you get a companion, you're dealing with someone from, you know, like the modern era. Like you have Joe, or Liz, or Sarah Jane, or Tegan, or... Um, Martha or Rose or Donna and all these people are you know like contemporary um, English people but Troughton has this really interesting thing where his three major companions I tend to not count Ben and Polly because I I first of all I haven't heard many episodes of them but uh, Jamie is like a Scot from the Highlands in like the 18th century so he's like he's he's totally like designed to be this guy who like sees the world as this really cool like futuristic looking place and uh, Victoria, who's in Troughton's second season, is this, um, like, 19th century, like, posh sort of uh, girl. And then Zoe is this computer programmer from the 21st century who can do really fantastic math. Um <laughs> All the way in the 21st century. Yeah. Turns out people 
people have computer chips, which according to the Doctor Who uh, future would be fantastic um, because I, I would like that. Um, I would like to be doing crazy math uh, really quickly. Um, so, so the doctor and Jamie are captured and the doctor's like, well, I want to see Professor Watkins. And the guy's just like, and Tobias Vaughn's like, well, you can't really see them. And the doctor, and Jamie's like, but I have, we have to fix the TARDIS. And, and the doctor's like, shut up, Jamie, which I think is really funny. Cause like, it's not that the doctor hates Jamie. He's just like, why are you telling him about the TARDIS? Like, they don't need to know about that. But for some reason, the doctor manages, uh, the, Tobias Vaughn manages to weasel out of the doctor that the doctor has these circuits. So Vaughn takes the circuits and is like, well, I'll give them to him and Troughton's like okay I don't really care how much technology you're sharing with the world um, despite the fact that I'm dealing with advanced, super advanced Time Lord technology you can take these anyways um, so so the Doctor and Jamie um, basically give Vaughn these circuits and then walk out um, Vaughn gives Jamie this uh, transistor radio which is really high tech or whatever um, and the Doctor's like look as they as they exit and leave the building the doctor's like look jamie something's wrong with that guy he didn't really blink that much and, and jamie's like really and like, yes notice these things and as they leave, it's like well he, he blinked but he he just shut his eye and it just yeah. stayed there <laughs> and it was only his right eye it was the weirdest thing um doctor that's called a stroke oh <laughs> yeah it's the weirdest thing. i don't know why he's having a stroke but okay um, so, so the doctor and Jamie basically leave, and Vaughn, Tobias Vaughn kind of watches them leave. And as he leave, as they leave, he presses a button, and this wall panel behind him opens up, revealing this giant alien-looking technology tower. That's about like you know, it's about six, seven feet tall, and it doesn't look very good. So I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't look like this is a good thing. And so you kind of reveal that Tobias Vaughn is a bit of a mystery. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really where it leaves us. I again, I think it's a really, I think it's a strong ending. Um, this era, this era, because it's dealing with a, a similar sort of serial format as Hartnell, is it, the the cliffhangers don't have to be amazing. They just have to be like, okay, what comes next? And right. when you get to that, you're just like, okay, well, I kind of want to know what comes next. And right. it's a good episode. Um, I don't, I just want to pause for a second to see um, what you what do you think of the animation? Because like really, I, I I always forget that episode four is the other animated one because I think that this does such a such a really interesting job of setting up the story and the world and i i don't know i've seen the first part more more times than i'd probably care to admit just because i've i, I don't know i just watched i've watched it a few times but um what you think of the animation just overall i i really like the animation and you know they've said the bbc have said that they're not they're not planning on doing this again because it was expensive but my question with that is okay the, the segment at the end um, you know, where he, he pushes the button and the door slides open and everything, mm -hmm. um, like the cliffhanger. Why was that animated? <laughs> they repeat it at the beginning of the next episode in live action. That was a waste of hundreds of dollars that they yeah. could have just not spent. It's just yeah. like, it's like, well, yeah, it's expensive, but you could also be spending your money a lot, like, proficiently. More, yeah. <laughs> well, it's by, also funny because... Not like, animating stuff that doesn't need to be animated. Yeah. Well, it's also funny because when you come back, like, uh, the one thing I will say about the animation is it does give you a really interesting sort of modern perspective on it um, where, mm -hmm. you know, you get a lot of close-ups on eyes and faces and some really... Like, the shot where they walk into Isabel's apartment, it, like, you know, you see everyone kind of walk through the door in a way that, you know, you wouldn't see in a normal show. And I think that's really interesting, but I, I completely agree that they just, come on, they need to, they need to animate this stuff, because you could totally release this and show this to kids, and kids would eat this up. 
Oh, absolutely. Oh, Definitely. So good. <laughs> it's uh it was also weird starting mm-hmm. the the Patrick Troughton era with this episode because mm-hmm. um the very first Patrick Troughton, you know, episode in our run, you know, of of episodes that I'm watching is an animated one. So then mm-hmm. we get to the second episode and everything's live action and I, you know, I had to like brace myself a second where I was mm-hmm. just like, "Wait, what? Oh, Why totally isn't this jarring. a cartoon?" <laughs> yeah. Totally jarring. Like I because uh, the second episode uh, which I guess we can just jump into, um, starts with the same shot, as you were saying, of Tobias Vaughn pushing the button um, and the door opening, and you see what, you know, you see the thing in in real live action, and, it, and it's kind of, it, it, it looks so different than what you were expecting, because you're just like, oh, that clearly is a, is, a, is a button that's on a pedestal that's made out of PVC pipe, and that's not nearly as fantastic looking a thing as I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, and then and then you come outside and you see Troughton and or not Troughton, you see the Doctor and Jamie walking down the street and they look behind them and there's a car following them and you're just and it just looks so different because you're on a completely dev- different type of film and and lighting and all that sort of thing. So it, yeah, I, I see what you mean about it being jarring. I, I kept doing the thing where I'd be like, okay, now this live action person was that cartoon character, right? Yes. Like like the two guys in the car. I was just like, okay, those are those two guys from the car earlier. Mm-hmm. And then you know, and and Tobias Vaughn. I was like, okay, because Tobias Vaughn's animated version doesn't really look anything like live action Tobias yeah. Vaughn. Well, he looks a uh, bit more dapper than like you know Tobias Vaughn has this thing where he's kind of saggy looking. Um, uh-huh. but, but, uh, the new, the, new, the animated Tobias Vaughn is, he kind of has a taut face and he's very, he's very, he doesn't, he doesn't have the squinty. Um, he's, he's sort of got a Grand Moff Tarkin thing going on. Oh the yeah. Animated it's one. Cool. yeah. And Packer, yeah. Packer looks the same though. Packer looks exactly the same. He oh. does. <laughs> <laughs> That's just because Packer's a weird dude. Um, Oh, I love Packer. He, I just, lo- oh, he so gets good. so happy when he's gonna do evil things, and then he gets yelled at, and he gets sad. And then later on, like he he, he like in episode three, when the doctor gets away, when the doctor and Jamie get away from him, he like his hair starts getting crazy, and he's like, "Where? Well, find them! Oh my goodness!" And you're like, <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So in part two, um, we have the doctor and and Jamie are running away from this weird car, and we get a, a nice little interlude where Zoe and Isabel are like, well, we wonder what's taking them so long, exposition. And um, and then we get this really fantastic moment, and I'm YouTubing this, I've YouTubed it before, it's phenomenal, it's 30 seconds, but basically the Doctor and Jamie are running down the street, and they're running away from this car, and they look down the, look, look down the alley, and they see another car, and they look behind them, and they see the first car, and they're like, and Jamie's like, well, Doctor, what are we going to do? And the Doctor's like, well, there's one thing, there's only one thing you can do. And you know, any other doctor is just like, well, we'll run, we'll run up the building or some, you know, crazy thing like that. What does Trouton do? Trouton pull, reach into his pocket, pulls out a pack of cards and starts dealing them around. And then everyone just kind of walks up to him and he just like holds out the cards like, you guys want to play? And then <laughs> they are all like, <laughs> no. And he's just like, okay. And then he kind of leaves with them. Which... I love how instant it is too. He's just <laughs> like, only one thing we can do. <laughs> and then Jamie's just like, all right, I know, I know this game too. And uh, to me, and he just like, kneels behind him and just like instantly, he's just like he's he's like he's like I wonder what kind of cards I'm gonna get. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like they're playing, they're like in the middle of the game and they're like we've been here for hours just playing games. What's wrong, officer? <laughs> and like I, when I first watched this, like you have a weird sort of connection with Troughton because the first episode that you see, if this is your first Troughton story, the first episode you see is this animated sort of thing where you kind of get a feel of Troughton, you kind of get a feel of Zoe, you kind of get a feel of Jamie, but. When I saw this, like, this is really, like, within the first 60 seconds of Trouton footage that I've ever seen. 
by the time that I saw this, like this cemented Troughton as one of my all time favorite doctors, just that moment of just <laughs> complete fantasticness. Um, so that's, that's why I took YouTube that moment. Cause I, cause other, other also just so funny. Like it's just phenomenal. And it gets me every time and I laugh and I laugh and I laugh. Um, so that's that's um that's that's what happens with that and so the doctor and Jamie are carted away and we and we see that Vaughn is looking at these micro circuits from the TARDIS and trying to figure out what they're from but he's like these are really advanced and I don't understand them. So the doctor and Jamie are brought to this this plane where they they meet UNIT which is the United Nations Intelligence Task, For- Task Force which is headed by Colonel not Colonel Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart. And um, this is my first experience with the Brigadier. I'm sure it's not yours, um, but this was this was my first experience with the Brigadier, and I love the Brigadier. I I think he's one of the best characters to come out of the entire show, um, in its entire run. I I just I think he's so fantastic. And this and this is the this is the first time he is the Brigadier. Yes. Correct? Well, he appeared once before in the aforementioned Web of Fear as the Colonel. He was mm-hmm. a colonel back in that, but they basically brought him back and and said, "Hey, do you want to be the brigadier? And we'll bring you back for the story where we're kind of introing this new unit paradigm." And the, and Nicholas Courtney was like, "Sure, I'll totally do that." And <laughs> I, I I just love him. I think he's so good. And then they invited him back for the next season, which was season seven, and he was just like, "Dude, I'll totally do this." And I love Nicholas Courtney. I think he's one of the best things that ever happened to Doctor Who in its entire run. Um, and yeah, so, so we meet the Brigadier for, for really, like, this was my first experience with the Brigadier to a lot of kids. It was also their first experience with the Brigadier. Um, and I just, I love him. So they, they basically, he's, he's hanging out and he's giving them some exposition about the United Nations Intelligence Task Force and how they, they're investigating international electromatics and they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on with Tobias Vaughn and all this sort of thing. Um, but what they don't know is that. While this is going on, Zoe and Isabel get so ridiculously angry with the Doctor and Jamie for not coming back after something like three hours, which I thought was really funny, because there's this weird sense of time in this story where things will just happen, and you have no sense of time because you're watching it pretty linearly, but basically you have Isabel photographing Zoe and that's where we left them but she's they've been photographing Zoe for like three hours and they're just like well where is the doctor and Jamie and they're like I don't know so then they're like let's go off to international electromatics and see see what we can dig up so they go off to electro international I, I think it's I, I before you move on I, I want to mention too I, I think it's really funny that Three hours later, we find Zoe in the same pose that we left her in, <laughs> yes. in animated version. Yes. And, so and she makes outfit. a comment, yeah, wearing the same outfit, the, the boa, and and she makes the comment of uh, of how she thought models were, like, like stupid, and it, was, it wasn't hard work, but <laughs> staying still for that long is that hard work, and I'm like, you just stood still for three hours. Yeah, that's hard work. <laughs> Apparently, things are different when you're a mathematician for the 21st century. Um, <laughs> she's like, I got this new camera. It's just really slow, so you need to stay still for three hours. It's like a, it's like an old Civil War camera. You got to stay still for about three hours before it takes the picture. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so Zoe and Isabel head off to an international electromatics, and they come across the same computer. But where the doctor was like, "Screw the computer, let's just go hunting." Zoe was like, "I'm not taking this crap from a computer," and basically <laughs> walks over to Isabel's like, "I'm gonna show this computer what's up." And she basically is like, I'll talk in Algol, which is this this computer technology, this computer speak, uh, computer jargon. 
<laughs> 60s leet speak. Yeah, totally. It's totally 60s leet speak. And <laughs> instead of, you know, what you would expect from now, she just starts torturing this computer, which was so funny. Like she just goes, <laughs> she's just like she's just like begin and she just starts torturing the computer and the computer basically explodes after yeah. taking so much <laughs> and then they laugh at it. Like <laughs> to add insult to injury, they just basically go and laugh at the computer. And then see, we- whereas whereas Troughton physically abuses the computer, the, like his computers, his technology, and then comes back and apologizes later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Zoe just he, she just like psychologically affronts the computers. <laughs> Just like, you're going to need to see a computer therapist when I'm done with you. (laughs) Also a computer technician because you got blowed up. And (laughs) so so then they blow up this computer and Tobias Vaughn has been watching this whole thing with Packer, his security chief. And he's just like, well, they're pretty good. Let's bring them in. And so then Zoe and Isabella are like, oh, crap, we got to get out of here. So they make a run for it, but they get accosted by guards. And <laughs> instead of, like, hanging out to meet the people, they just get accosted by guards and taken away to Tobias Vaughn, who's like, oh, well, we're going we're gonna to take you away, and we're, we have you captured, which continues the longstanding tradition, as we'll see in this story of the Doctor and his companions getting captured. Yes. <laughs> lots and so, lots of capturing. So much. Um, so... Let me see. Uh, so the computer explodes, and uh, the brigadier basically. We cut back to the brigadier, who's like, "Hey, look, uh, I like you, doctor. You're kind of neat, so uh, I'll help you out. Uh, if you need help, just t- call me on on my unit radio, and we'll we'll go. We'll figure it out, and we'll we'll help each other. Because I want to take these these guys down too. So the doctor's like, "Okay, well, we'll go check out with." Uh, Zoe and Isabel and see how they're doing. So they go back to Wat- Professor Watkins' house and they break in and they're like, they don't get they don't get an answer. They break in and then there's this other great Troughton moment where they walk in and they see sandwiches and they're like, Zoe, Isabel, and then Troughton looks at the sandwich and he's like, oh, sandwiches! And he picks up a sandwich, starts eating it and gives one to Jamie and I'm just like, where is this hospitality? Like, <laughs> is this some Time Lord nonsense? Because he just barges in and starts eating the food at the house. Which I thought was so funny, and like so, so they go and they see that um, Zoe and Isabel left them a note, and they said, "Hey, we're going back to International Electromatics," and the Doctor and Jamie are like, "Oh no, that's the evil place." So they they run back um, to International Electromatics, and um, while this is going on, the, Tobias Vaughn demands some more information about the Doctor from the this. Thing that I'm gonna call it the controller. I think it's called the cyber controller, but I'm gonna call it the controller just for arguments purposes. So he demands more information from this controller. And the first time I watched this, I started noticing the fact that Tobias Vaughn starts having a stroke whenever he's talking to this computer. And when Scott <laughs> and I start joking about this, you have to understand that Tobias Vaughn is kind of like he he. There are certain people in the world who kind of look saggy, like they have like you know just a little bit of extra skin hanging off their their face. And Tobias Vaughn kind of has that, but his eyes are kind of droopy. But his right eye, when he talks to this machine, and it's to the point where later on we'll see that this is totally an acting choice by the fantastic Kevin Stoney. Um, where it's like it's totally an acting choice of like the computer, the controller apparently has control over his right eye, and every time he talks to it, it gets more and more closed as the story goes on, and this controller takes more and more control over him. 
And it starts here, it gets really bad later, where you're just like, oh my god, he's totally having a stroke right now, and no one's yeah, noticing. Yeah, he, he looks like Two-Face at oh, certain yeah. portions. Like you can, and if, like, if you look at one side, it's that weird thing where if you look at one side of his face, it looks normal, and if you look at the other side, it looks normal, but if you put it together, it just does not look okay. Like, it looks like, you, dude, you should go see a doctor or something. <laughs> so, You've got two people inside of you. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of weird. You got the robot, and you got you. Spoilers. Um, so then... The um so the doctor and Jamie break into the back of International Electromatics and they're looking for Jamie and Zoe and they have trouble lifting these crates that this one guy seems to have no trouble lifting, which is a kind of a hint of where the story's going. And they see that they they see that Zoe and Isabel are lift are lowered into these crates and they're like, oh we have to go rescue them and, and um they basically all these people run away leaving only security chief Packer there. And Jamie's like, let's go get them. And he runs out and just starts tackling Packer. And the doctor's like, no, we can't do that. And then it raises the alarm because Packer screams because that's what happens when you get tackled. And the doctor is like, let's go, Jamie. So they try to run for it. And the doctor and Jamie at the end of this episode are captured by uh, the evil Packer, um, which is, you know, they're captured again. Um, <laughs> best part, not the last time this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we come back, um, Tobias Vaughn shows up and, and basically uh, pulls a, a Packer off the Doctor and Jamie, who... <laughs> uh, I love Packer. I think he's really funny. Like, he is, like, ready to torture Doctor and Jamie without any, like, desires to find out information or, you know, what sane torturers do. Um, so... Yeah, he just wants to torture for funsies. Yeah, which is... I think it's really funny. Um, <laughs> so, so basically, while um, the Doctor and Jamie are like, well, you captured Zoe and Isabel. Let them go. And Tobias Vaughn is like... I've done nothing of the sort. In fact, you can go check it out. They're in these crates that I have. I I don't know how Tobias Vaughn expects to explain how Zoe and Isabel landed in these crates that have been carried all the way to a train. But, you know, that's Tobias Vaughn. <laughs> that's why he's kind of awesome. So basically he's like, oh, I'll, Packer will take you to them. So Tobias Vaughn is like, okay, well, uh, he calls the train and he's like, okay, well, leave now and go off to our compound in the country. And so the Dr. Jamie, uh, Packer, and Vaughn show up, and they're like, oh, and Vaughn's like, oh, you just missed them, but they're going to the compound. I can't really stop the train, but who can come with us to this compound, and, and we'll meet them when they get there. And so they all get into a car, and there's this really great moment where where Jamie climbs into the back seat. He climbs all the way through the back seat, opens the front door, and gets in the passenger seat. And then Packer walks up, and Jamie's just like, I don't know what happened. What happened to you? <laughs> and, and Packer gets really pissed, but then they head off to this um to this compound and being followed by a unit helicopter which the brigadier had ordered. And they they wind up in Vaughn's compound office, which is exactly the same as his London office, but in this country. And Vaughn's just like, "Well, I like to have, you know, consistency," which I thought was funny because it's it's really just like we save on sets here at Doctor Who. Um so, so let's see. Um, so then they, oh, I lost my place. Where am I? Okay. Um, 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 okay. Meanwhile, at the compound, there's this guy named Professor Watkins, and um, we we we've heard about him, but now we get to see him, and he's he's kind of like this really frumpy-looking scientist, and he's working on this machine, but we don't know what the machine's about. Um, and so the doctor and and Jamie are, are at this compound, and they. They get a moment alone, and uh, 
Tobias Vaughn's office and they look out and they see this um they see these deep space communicators and the doctor's like, Well that's really weird. Um <laughs> I saw your tweet about this and I think it's funny, but uh Trouton has this periscope and I don't know where the periscope came from, but it really looks <laughs> like his recorder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he just turned his recorder into a into a telescope. Um for those of you who don't know Trouton's signature move is that he has this little recorder that he blow that he that he whistles on. Um and <laughs> so, like a recorder yeah. recorder flute yeah, like, like you would get it yeah. in like the 5th grade music class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. dark days of fifth grade music class. Um, <laughs> so the the doctor like notices these deep space communicators, and then um, the they the doctor's like, "Well, why don't you show us to Professor Watkins?" And and um, Tobias Vaughn is like, "Okay, fine, I'll show you to Professor Watkins." So they go and meet with him, but they're spied on by Vaughn, and the doctor figures it out. Um, so he distracts the he distracts. Um, Watkins and Jamie and the camera and basically knocks out the camera with a simple magnet, which I love because it's just so subtle because you expect the doctor to be, you know, in the modern times, like sonic screwdriver. But really, the Trouton just weaves it into his pocket and pulls out a magnet and just drops it on the camera, which completely disrupts it. Um, so Vaughn barges into the place while um, he get the doctor and Jamie and Watkins manage to get a couple of words in about how uh, Watkins is being captured and he's working on this machine about that has something to do with emotions and and the sort of thing and then Von Burson is like oh well you're so clever doctor and the doctor's like yeah well and um so um Von interrupts the meeting and and they uh he's like okay doctor tell me what you want to know about this travel machine of yours which you have um which I think is really interesting because you start to see that Tobias Vaughn is not just a lackey for the controller and whatever the controller is controlling. Spoilers, it's the Cybermen. Um, but you, you <laughs> which we we don't we don't find out until ep- the end of episode four. Right, which I actually really enjoy, but we'll talk to we'll talk about when we get to there. Um, but I really like that Vaughn, the controller, basically tells Vaughn, "You have to kill the Doctor. We know about the Doctor. We know about his companions. You have to kill them now, or they're gonna foil everything." And Vaughn's just like, "I got this." And doesn't kill him because he wants um, the doctor's travel machine as a background, as like a, a, a get out of jail free card. Like when the invasion happens, this invasion that the controller and Vaughn are talking about, Vaughn's going to be able to use the, the TARDIS to get away. But he doesn't know it's actually the TARDIS and stuff. Um, which I actually think is really fantastic. Because um, it sets the groundwork for the ultimate betrayal that Vaughn will give to the controller. Spoilers. Right. Though I will say, um, how many times in the history of Doctor Who do you think that uh, that's happened? Where like, like you have you have the minor villain that is being led around by like what is a mate like an A-lister mm-hmm. villain, like the Cybermen or the Daleks or whatever, or the or the Centaurans, mm-hmm. and. They they say they're like uh yeah you don't want to mess with this doctor guy you just need to kill him and be done with it and then they're just like no I got this it's fine well it's the ultimate <laughs> it's the ultimate in villain in villain downfallery 
Um, yeah, it's actually funny because uh, this is a little a little known fact, but Kevin Stoney, who plays Tobias Vaughn here, <laughs> basically is the same character in another famous Doctor Who story called The Daleks Master Plan, in which he plays the evil president of the solar system named Mavic Chen, and teams up with the Daleks, and then at the end of the story is just like, I'm in charge of the Daleks, and the Daleks are like, No, you're not, bro, and then they kill him. Um, so I mean, it's <laughs> it's spoilers on that story, but basically he's playing the same sort of character which i think is really funny but you're absolutely you're you're totally absolutely right about if if the really big bad guys tell you to kill the doctor like you should probably kill the doctor it's really convenient <laughs> yeah. that you don't but um i mean i don't mind that you don't kill the doctor because there's only so many times but um the times when they say when when so, when they have the opportunity to kill the doctor and don't um is a lot in this story and they really should but they don't um Anyways, so let's see. So Vaughn defies the orders of his superiors, and he refuses to kill the Doctor. And while he's doing that, Packer brings away the Doctor and Jamie, and he's just like, well, I'm going to take you away. So they call the elevator, and, and the Doctor's like, well, Vaughn doesn't really like you. And Packer's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then <laughs> he, goes, he goes, well, there's Tobias Vaughn right there. And he pushes Packer out of the way, and they jump into the elevator, and they close the door. And the Doctor manages to short out the elevator, and Packer starts losing his fracking mind, just like, <laughs> <laughs> how did they get away? And he's like, he's like got this wrist communicator, which like he like yells into, and then he holds up to his ear, and then he yells into, and he holds up into his ear, and and, and, he, and the risk communication is just like and and it, it's just so funny and Tobias Vaughn runs up to Packer he's like what happened and Packer's just like they got away and Tobias Vaughn's like you moron and Packer's just like aww <laughs> yeah and I love he this just, I love he, it because Packer just starts losing his like his hair which is so like it's like this really nice comb over just starts getting crazy and like he starts losing his his cool and everything it's just fantastic if it was revealed at some point during the invasion that Packer was in fact uh, uh, Vaughn's son, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised in the oh, slightest because totally. that's definitely the relationship they have here. Like he's just like, but Daddy, I just, I just want you to love me. You I have failed me like again, you. son. How dare <laughs> yeah. you? So, so as as pa Packer and Tobias Vaughn attempt to get the Doctor back and. Uh, Packer sends a bunch of troops to like lower floors and upper floors to like say cover all the exits, and again Packer just can't catch a break because the Doctor and Jamie are just like screw that we're just gonna go out the top to the roof. So they start they pop out of the elevator and they they start climbing up the ladder, um, and Packer's just like and Packer's just like we got all the exits covered and Tobias Vaughn's like do you have the roof covered and Packer's just like crap. So he's like, he's like, I'll take the, I'll take the elevator to the roof. I got this. So he gets in the elevator and he starts climbing the roof. And there's this really tense moment where the doctor is like climbing and Jamie's climbing. And they're like, oh my gosh, we have to go rescue Zoe and Isabel, which is why they're here. Let's not forget. Um, and they manage to get out to the roof and they start running away. And again, Packer's still losing it. They manage to get away and they go out to this train yard and they jump into a train car and the doctor's like, oh, we have to, we have to hide, get in this crate. And Jamie gets into a crate. And as Packer is looking for them and shouting out and saying, search everywhere, apparently they're not searching in the crates, um, Jamie looks well, over... Well, why would you Why would you assume that they were in there? I yeah. mean, that's just... <laughs> well, as we find out later, that's a really bad place to be. But um, <laughs> Jamie looks over and he sees in this crate there's like something under this weird cocoon cloth thing and it starts moving. And we get this kind of really creepy, chilling image at the end of episode three. And that's really where it ends, again. <laughs> oh, no. 
places episodes of Doctor Who without a really convincing cliffhanger. Um, actually, yeah, this this one would have been like uh, if I was watching this live back in '68, and I would have gotten to this ending. I would have just been like. Was there a stain on the blanket that didn't look? <laughs> the stain is moving. Oh, <laughs> I, I just I, I didn't I didn't really see much movement of the blanket. Right, but but the but the expression on Jamie's face was of absolute horror, mm-hmm. and I I was just like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why you gotta be why you gotta be so like you know whatever about it, Jamie? I mean, come on, it's a stain. Let's go. Um, <laughs> it could be anything. <laughs> just. <laughs> it's it's Packer. Let's be, yeah, oh, creepy. Um, so so now we're in part four, um, which is another, which is the second episode to be animated, uh, the second and last episode to be animated, unfortunately. Um, so Jamie gets out of the crate and he's like, Doctor, there was something moving in there, and the doctor's like, Whatever, let's go rescue Zoe and Isabel. And Jamie's like, No, really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I love that so much. <laughs> the doctor is, like, literally, he's just like, okay, well, that's nice. Anyway. <laughs> that's great, Jamie, but we have to go rescue Zoe and Isabel. And Jamie's like, I know we have to, but there was something in the crate. Um, which I actually really like that because um, we started the episode wondering what's in the crate, or we ended the last episode wondering what's in the crate, and we end this episode finding out what is actually in the crate, which I think is actually a really nice touch in terms of, like, story structure. Sure. Um, but So then they start running around trying to rescue Zoe and Isabel, so... So Vaughn tells uh, Packer that Watkins' machine is almost ready, and it's actually a threat to the aliens. But they don't know that Vaughn is working on this. Um, but he doesn't. But he do, so he doesn't really want them to win, uh, lest everyone be totally converted, which is a huge hint as to what the bad guys are. Of the story. Um, meanwhile, Zoe and Isabel are taken to the 10th floor of this place, and the Doctor and Jamie are going to go rescue them. Um, and while they're doing this, Vaughn gets over this intercom and invites and gives this really great ultimatum of, like, you have 10 minutes or I'm going to kill them. And, I, again, I think that's really great, although I don't see why he wouldn't just kill one of them and then say, hey, you have 10 minutes before I off the other. Because, um, you know, you're, but then again, Tobias Vaughn is a, is a Bond villain, so you can't really have, you know, he was too busy petting that cat. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the cyber cat. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Actually, that's that's not far off from what these. Have you heard? Have you ever heard of cybermats? This is so off topic, but have you heard of cybermats? No. Oh my god, I love cybermats. We'll get to those. We'll get to those. There's <laughs> a, they're in a couple stories, but they're basically these these weird looking wormy things that the cybermen have that disrupt electronics. Um, they show up in I think the Tomb of the Cybermen, Wheel of Space, and then um. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, Revenge of the Cybermen, they show up. But in Revenge of the Cybermen, they're like these giant snake things that leap on people, which is really funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so when you say Cybercat, you're not exactly far off of these weird cyber creatures that exist. Um, <laughs> anyways, so the doctor's like, well, screw you, Vaughn. I'm going to re- attempt a 10-minute rescue. And so Zoe and Isabel are looking out the window, and they see the doctor, and they wave, and the doctor's like, shut up, shut up. We're going we're gonna to come rescue them. And um, while he's doing this, the doctor calls for the unit helicopter and says, "Come land on this building, and we'll we'll get out of here." And while and while the, this helicopter comes in, Vaughn's like, "Shoot down the helicopter!" And apparently, they can't even do that. Like these these ele- international electromatics guys are just really incompetent because they can't shoot down a giant helicopter. They can't go to the roof to stop the helicopter from landing. It's just I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, and so, um, the doctor and Jamie manage to get to the roof and they, um, they take the rope 
ladder that is on this helicopter and they they drop it down and the doctor and jamie like lower themselves down and rescue zoe and isabel and they climb up to the top and i'm blasting through this because really it's just like an action sequence that's you know i'm not a huge i mean i like a good action sequence but more than not the action sequences are just filler pieces you know they're filler set pieces so there's there's a there's a lot of running and chasing and (laughs) climbing and well, the, basically, episodes <laughs> three and four of this story are just a giant runaround. Like, there's really no advancement of the story that actually happens. Like, you could you could basically end the episode at episode one. Instead of meeting with Tobias Vaughn, like, you could have the reveal at the end of episode four at the end of episode one, and you would not lose a single thing from the story, except for the tremendous fun that I'm actually having uh, watching, the show, watching the show, because any trout you, is good trout. He would have lost Zoe bullying around the computer, which right. in itself is worth the three episodes. Yeah, no, it no, it's, it's so true because Zoe and Isabel both laugh at that thing, which I think is the best moment ever. <laughs> Evil, cackling, they cackle. Like They're just witches. like, <laughs> stupid computer. <laughs> How dare you? I will algal you to death. Um, so basically, the doctor, Jamie, Zoe, and Isabel basically climb out onto this rope ladder, they climb to the roof, and they all get on the helicopter, and Jamie hops on the rope ladder, and the helicopter flies away, and they all basically manage to get away, which I think is funny, because <laughs> Jamie's just riding on the rope ladder, not even attempting to get into, like, the helicopter itself, which I thought was really funny. It was just a shot of the helicopter flying away. Um, and then we get some more... A fantastic exposition where they basically run back to unit. They're like, well, we're back at unit. How good for us. And um, the doctor starts to actually put these pieces together about um, about what's actually going on. Um, because, uh, let me see. Oh, sorry, I have my notes. So I'm, I'm basically running through this. You can cut this out. Um, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. The doctor starts to ask unit about what's really going on here, which he should have done, you know, like three episodes ago, but whatever. Um and he starts like putting the pieces together about how there have been reportings or there have been sightings reported of UFOs uh, that units gotten some pictures of, and um, they start to put together the idea of international electromagnetics is up to something, and there was something on the dark side of the moon that fired a missile at them, and it's all starting to get really kind of you know interesting. But there was one missing piece, uh, which is um, the Doctor and Jamie are like. Well, we need to go investigate Vaughn's hidden factory. And how are we going to break into this? We can't break through the front door or the back door. And the doctor's like, do you have a canoe? And <laughs> and the brigadier's like, well, I guess I could get you a canoe. And then we get this really fantastic shot or scene of, like, the doctor and Jamie just, like, canoeing down <laughs> down this canal that happens to be somewhere in London. Um, and they break into this warehouse, and they see... Um, the, uh, they see this scientist with a couple of electrodes hooked up to one of those like cocoon sacks from the from the crate, and they turn up the they turn up like this this radio transceiver thing, and out of the crate comes a Cyberman, which I think, um, I mean it's funny because nowadays you just you would know that a Cyberman is going to show up, but watching this story and being a kid and coming off of a bunch of really great Cyberman stories because this is really the golden age of the Cybermen. Um, Sure. I love I love this reveal just because it's like, oh crap! We're halfway through the story and the Cybermen are here. We're in trouble and we're in for something that's a little bit a little bit uh, exciting. Um, and that's where the episode ends. And you know, sometimes there's a really weak Cybermen reveal. I think it works here, especially because you kind of don't really have any hints. It's just like, but once you see it, you're just like, oh, of course it's the Cybermen. Um, right. Although, right. It's 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 cool because like 
um, even though this is an eight-part story, it really does feel like two four-part stories because yes. you have the first half, which is all Tobias Vaughn, and then the second half is all Cybermen. Yes, and so. yeah, and that sort of that sort of structure happens a little bit later. But you're absolutely right in that it, it's you know it's two four-part stories where the first four-part is like a really cool sort of run around with some corporate espionage and some weird alien thing that's maybe going on. But um, other than that, yeah, you're totally right about it, how it being, like, two different four-part stories. Because once the Cybermen show up, like, things start really happening really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then we go, we're in part, we get to part five, and the Doctor and Jamie are just like, oh, crap, it's a Cyberman. And uh, the, Jamie's like, Doctor, what are we going to do? And the Doctor's like, there's only one thing we can do. So they hop in the canoe, and they head away, which, again fantastic shot of Jamie and Troughton in a canoe, just canoeing. Like, <laughs> for no reason, just hanging out in a canoe and canoeing away. Um, so, so the doctor shows up. Well, and, might as well enjoy it, right? <laughs> I love I loved that shot. I think it's one of the best shots in the whole story. Where It's like it's like this gratuitous, like, 30-second long shot of, like, Jamie and the doctor just canoeing away. I, oh, I love it. Um, so... Then we get uh, the doctor shows back up unit and he's like, "Hey, um, the Cybermen are here and I, they have the ability to cyber control people and we need to really stop them." Um, and the doctor uh, thinks of something, so he runs away um, and starts doing the scientist thing, which I think is interesting, specifically because if you treat this story like it's the pilot for the unit years that are uh, that is basically the Pertwee era. Um, the doctor running off and running some science experiments, um, as a real test, especially because you have, you know, something like six seasons of the doctor running around being a big action guy, and now he has to be guy who's hanging out in a room looking through a microscope. Like, it, it, it goes into the whole idea that this is a pilot that's setting up something else that's to come, which is the Pertwee era. Um... That's just my thoughts on it. Although, again, that's what kids, as we'll talk about next next week, that's what kids want to see. Kids want to see a bunch of the doctors sitting around a microscope looking through test tubes and stuff. Um, <laughs> and using his recorder as a periscope. <laughs> well, yes. Um, so uh, does it does it does it work as a microscope as well? <laughs> that's a bummer, I though. That I wish. I wish. He's just like walking around with this thing. He's just like, like Liz, you have something on your skin. Let me look at that. And he's looking through his periscope. Oh, that's the lost <laughs> shot from the Pertwee era. Um, so while this is going on, Tobias Vaughn tracks down this guy who works in the Ministry of Defense, who's basically the unit liaison to England, who the Brigadier reports to, whose name is, I think it's like Major General Rutledge or something. And it turns out that Tobias Vaughn has brainwashed and cyber-controlled Major Rutledge, who is really bad at acting, and it's just like, <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, under control and stuff like that. And it's really kind of weird, and I don't know, I, I thought he was really... I, you know, it's it's hard to slam some people, especially because uh, black humor. But the guy's probably you know passed on by now. But I mean, not not the best of acting moments. Um, well, that was. I mean, it's you. You'd also have to take into consideration that that's like you know it's a different time and yeah, a lot like this was this was you know absolutely considered a children's show at the time. Yeah. And so, like a lot of actors probably came to it not taking it very seriously and mm-hmm. just kind of looking at it out as a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Oh, so. I wouldn't be surprised. Even like someone like Stephen Moffat back in the, like he did this really fantastic interview. I'll try and send you a link. Um but it's this it, he has this discussion of um old who and how 
it was really anomalous how you'll have someone like Patrick Troughton, who's actually a brilliant, brilliant actor, amidst, you know, someone like Jamie and Fraser Hines, who, you know, I mean, I love Fraser Hines, I love Jamie, but I can't say that Jamie's the best actor in the world, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Um, sure. But but yeah, I, I I see what you mean, and I'm I'm you know I'm pretty forgiving to these, but he's, he, I, I keep watching Rutledge. I'm just like, oh, try a little bit harder, please. <laughs> Have some respect for the paycheck you are getting. Um, so Vaughn manages to uh, keep Rutledge um, from letting the Brigadier have some unit control on uh, what's going on at International Electromatics, which I think is a really nice thing. It's total Bond villain, sort of like, like you will not do this, because I already thought of it, and I already got to him. Um, and these sharks have lasers. Yeah. <laughs> sharks with freaking laser beams. Now we're so off topic. Um, <laughs> um, so it's all connected. It's all connected. It's moving, fine. Moving, moving on. Um, so we have, we have Vaughn um, manages to talk to Professor Watkins, who says that his machine is ready and uh, Vaughn can test out the machine. So Vaughn pulls out this, this I, I'm going to call it an emotion inducer. I don't remember if that was the exact term, but that's basically what it is. It's an emotion inducer. So he pulls out a, um, a stethoscope and puts it attached to this to the Cyberman and gets one of his chop scientists on top of it and, and basically straps the stethoscope to the Cyberman and wakes it up and, and it's just barely sentient, just enough to break out of its cocoon. Excuse me, cocoon. And turns on this emotion inducer to fear, and the Cybermen lets out this really unholy scream. <laughs> it does. It's just it's really it. It's awful. It's oh. just the worst. <laughs> but it was really funny because, like, I don't know. Like, I feel bad for the Cybermen because, like, the thing is just being tortured for no reason. And I like, you know, the Cybermen are evil, but like, <laughs> just like. Ah, ah! It's like starts walking away and like screaming and stuff, and and it chases the other Cybermen into the sewers because uh, Tobias Vaughn is um is t- sending the Cybermen into the sewers to prepare for the invasion that is coming. Um, but again, this really funny Cyberman who's like running around like screaming like a madman and totally feeling all this fear and flees into the sewers and stuff. I just thought it's really funny, and Tobias Vaughn is really in, really happy with it, and he's like, okay, we need to mass-produce these, we're going to up the amplification so we don't need a stethoscope, and we can just fire it like a weapon. Um, and while this is going on, the, brig- the brigadier um, starts complaining that Rutledge isn't letting him do this, do anything, so he has to go to Geneva because there's a crazy unit bureaucracy that's going on here. Um, it's constant trouble with everything where they have to keep going back to Geneva and all this stuff. Um, and he's just like, well, I wish I could do something about it. And Isabel's like, well, what if you had proof? And the Brigadier's like, I can't get proof. And Isabel's like, well, I'm a photographer, which is some really nice planning there. Um, so Isabel's like, I'm going to totally go, <laughs> go, go pull out this, uh, my camera and just get some pictures of the Cybermen, which we know are in the sewers. I don't remember exactly how they know it's in the sewers. I think Troughton figures that out earlier in the episode. <laughs> He's like, let's go to the sewers. And the Brigadier's like, one, I can't let you do that. One, because you're not an employee of unit. And two, because you're a woman. <laughs> and like, like, <laughs> like uh, I mean, it's not that it's implied. Like, you can imply misogyny through a lot of things. Was this wasn't this the time out. too where her where her response was, "You man." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and like, so the brigadier's like, yeah, I'm like, wow, this oh. is just phenomenal dialogue." <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
And the brigadier's like, yeah, well, tough. So he leaves. And then <laughs> Zoe's all offended. And she's like, how dare he talk to you that way? And Jamie just goes, yeah, well, he's right, you know. <laughs> which continues the long-standing tradition of Jamie being a total misogynist, which I think is so funny. But, you know, 18th century, different time. Not saying that completely excuses it, but... You know. Although the the irony that the the misogynist character is wearing a kilt isn't lost on me. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's a good point. Congratulations, <laughs> Jamie, for you know doing some crazy gender bending. Um, so so uh, Isabel's like, well, screw it. We'll just we'll just go bring in another. We'll bring in a unit guy. We'll just go into the city and we'll go into the sewers and we'll uh we'll we'll go investigate ourselves and Zoe's like that's a great idea and Jamie's like hang on we're not doing that <laughs> Zoe's and Isabella are like why you're a guy why would you want to hang out with us and Jamie's like well and then they leave and Jamie's like crap so he chases after them so so it's like Jamie, Isabella and Zoe are running running around looking for Cybermen um and <laughs> later on the doctor comes back um and meets with the brigadier and he's like okay well i've had no luck doing whatever it is i'm doing i don't really know what he's doing i think he's looking at like some transistors or something from international electromatics he's like i have to go back into the city um and and and, <laughs> and he's like and the brigadier and the doctor are are chatting about how they have to go into the city and <laughs> the brigadier's like, well, I don't know where they are, and <laughs> they go and call someone, and the guy's like, well, they just left, they went into the city. <laughs> the doctor's like, well, crap. So they, the brigadier's like, hang on, Jimmy, you go out there and you go take care of them, and you find out what's going on. <laughs> While this is going, and he, there's also this great moment where the brigadier's like, those meddling kids, which is just totally scooby doo, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is fine with me. So while this is going on, ja- Jamie, the doc- Jamie, Zoe, and Isabel show up in London, and they they go to the sewers, and they just they basically say thank you, unit guy, goodbye. And they go into the sewers, and there's this cop who walks up and is like, hey, what are you doing? And Isabel just gives him this stink eye and starts climbing down. Doesn't say a damn thing. Just like oh, I'm doing this. Do you, do you have a problem with this? I'm a woman. Yes. Go away. Um. So they climb into the sewer. And Jimmy, or not Jimmy, but whoever's, I think it's Benton, actually. Uh, Benton, who's who's actually funny, because Benton shows up in this story, and Benton eventually becomes, like, this really big, high-level player in the Pertwee era, like, like the Brigadier's second right-hand man. Um, but Benton shows up here. He's been in this all throughout, but I, I just think it's really funny to point out Benton. Um, so Benton and the policeman like start staring at the sewer. Meanwhile, uh, while Zoe and the, uh, Jamie and Isabel are are hanging out, and they're like, "Hey, let's go explore." So they start exploring, and then the policeman's like, "Well, I'm coming in there after you." Also saying something <laughs> like, "Those damn kids," which I still think is funny. Um. Here's here's my question. You remember that that this this is off topic, but it just <laughs> came to mind, and I want to say it before I forget it. Um, do you remember that old? I don't know if you ever saw this, but I used to have it on video, so I watched it all the time when I was a kid. But there's that video that that episode of Scooby Doo with like Adam West, Batman. Oh yeah, in it. Oh, it that's was like Scooby Doo meets Batman. Oh, Where's Scooby Doo meets Doctor Who? I want that. Oh, let's do that. Let's get that let's, made. Let's make that happen. And we can have animated in that Trouten. animation style. Yeah. Like, oh, let's do that. <laughs> that's what's missing. I never thought of that. You blew my mind, sir. Yeah, that just, that needs to happen. And and you know when the when the monster is unmasked, it needs to be the brigadier. 
<laughs> just for some reason. <laughs> it's like Evil Brigadier. Oh, it's Inferno Brigadier. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Brigadier. I don't know. Have you seen Inferno yet? Also off topic. Have you seen no, Inferno? No, oh, no, I have not. Oh, oh man, I should bump that up so that we can talk about that like next week. Anyway, so they, <laughs> they go into the sewers and and they start. They see the Cybermen um, in the distance. Zoe, Isabel, and Jamie. And Z- Isabel starts taking a photo of the Cybermen, which happens to be the really terrified, screaming Cybermen. And the policeman follows them in and is like, Yo, kids, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to find you, which is weird. Um, and then the Cybermen, these two Cybermen come out of nowhere and just zap this dude and murder him, which I think is fantastic uh, because the Cybermen have no regard for human life. And really, that's where the episode ends is with uh, the really scared, freaky-looking the really scared Cybermen uh, coming at Jamie, Zoe, and Isabel with the other two Cybermen coming right at them from the other direction, which I think I, I think it's a solid cliffhanger. Um, solid ending. Just leaving you with a really nice I need to know what happens next. Of course, episode 6, which we're talking about now, is a better cliffhanger, uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, okay, so episode 6, uh, Jimmy and a bunch of and a bunch of unit troops show up and are like, and they meet up with Benton, and Benton's like, they went into the sewers, and Jimmy's like, well, crap. So they all climb into the sewers, and they start, um, and they start uh, trying to look for Jamie, Zoe, and Isabel. Um, also, I might YouTube this, just because I already have it YouTubed, and I think, I think it's just a really fun moment, um, of really, just really fantastic, just... There's a, there's a moment coming up that I think is just so legendary for me. Um, I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, maybe not, though. Um, <laughs> while this is going on, the scared Cyberman walks right past Jamie, Isabel, and Zoe, which tells you just how scared it is. And it starts wrestling with the other Cybermen, and <laughs> and while this is going on, Unit is just looking at the Cybermen and just like, oh, let's go grenade them. So they start launching grenades, and this guy, this unit soldier, gives this really weak grenade lob, which I thought was really funny. Um, it explodes <laughs> part of the cavern, and part, there's a there's a big cave-in, but one of the Cybermen manages to get out. And this is why I'm YouTubing this, just because I think it's really funny, but the Cyberman, like, gets out of this, out of this, like, this rock fall, and it... it like stands up and it like stumbles which like it just stumbles because it's the dude in the costume trying to like recover from this this fall and he just like falls i think it's really funny um does not take a lot to amuse me um so, so <laughs> basically jamie zoe and isabel have been saved for the time being so they they run back to the unit troops and they're like oh my gosh so they so they all start they all start climbing the ladder to get out of the sewer for some reason jamie comes out last um, I don't know why. I think that's really poor planning on the unit part. Like, the guy who's in charge is like, me first! Instead of, you know, like, making sure that everyone's safe. <laughs> but as they... Uh, this is the other reason why I wanted to YouTube this, but as Jamie's climbing out, the Cyberman who got away from the from the grenade strike grabs Jamie's leg and starts pulling him into the sewer, which is kind of creepy, but also kind of funny because it's really silly because you just see the Cybermen just like pulling Jamie and not really pulling that hard and, and <laughs> one of the unit troops is like, oh crap, and it starts like trying to pull the Cybermen off, but it's got like iron grips, so this one dude walks up with like a gas canister and just starts whacking on the Cybermen and the Cybermen <laughs> just, like falls back. And it's, it's such a funny moment because like the idea that they're 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 whacking this big metal creature, thinking that it's going to feel pain, and then it actually reacts as if it does. Yeah, and then it's just like, okay, maybe I'll let go, and it lets go, and then and then someone like pulls over a grenade and just drops it in there, and instead of <laughs> yeah. running away, like everyone just kind of watches the grenade explode, which is not safe. 
They're like, everybody lean in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let's check this out. <laughs> Which, again, people, people in Doctor Who clearly don't know things about certain types of safety. Last week it was rope safety. This week it's grenade safety. Um, so so oh. Isabel and Jamie and uh, Zoe get away and Benton gets away and everyone gets away. Um, and then Isabel develops the photos and the Brigadier looks at them and is like, well, they look like they were faked. And Zoe's like, he has a point. And Isabel's like, you guys suck. Um, and so then, um, <laughs> while this is going on, uh, Professor Watkins finishes his um, his work on the emotion inducer and gives it to, to Tobias Vaughn, who it's now wireless, so it doesn't even need a stethoscope. So all you need to do is just turn turn a crank, and it and it starts like leaving like throwing fear at you and you suddenly start to feel fear and Tobias Vaughn like turns it on Watkins and and go and start they start laughing at Watkins and and Watkins is just like well if, if you were any other man Tobias Vaughn I would shoot you right now or not even if you were any other man but if I could get away with it I would shoot you right now and Tobias Vaughn's like all right he tells Packard he gives him his gun gives the gun to Pat to to Watkins and is like all right everyone back off this is gonna happen and Watkins shoots Vaughn which I think is really funny because Tobias Vaughn is just like this smarmy dude and Watkins shoots him and it actually turns out that Tobias Vaughn has been replaced with a robot um but he's 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 a, he's actually a robot but he's still got his human mind which I think is actually really cool um because the Cybermen um one part of Tobias Vaughn's arguments that he's having with the controller which I'm not mentioning because let's be honest it happens so many times that there's so many there's only so many times I can talk about Tobias Vaughn getting a stroke um, about about as many times as someone gets captured in this serial, yeah. he's he's having a stroke conversation with the yeah. with the brain tower. So I'm not I'm not really mentioning them, but part of what makes them really interesting is that um, he has this argument with them where we start to discover, especially in this episode and the ones before, all the Tobias Vaughn scenes are about Tobias Vaughn's plans to overthrow the cyber control and take over the Cybermen army and rule the world. Which I think is really interesting because you have like a division between the Cybermen and Vaughn and instead of having one enemy, you have a fractured enemy, um, as we'll see a bit later, but you you now have the Doctor dealing with Tobias Vaughn and the Doctor dealing with the Cybermen, which are now starting to become two completely separate entities. And so Tobias Vaughn, as it turns out, is like, look, I, I just want control of the Earth. I want control, and you guys get its minerals, but I'm going to be in charge of the population. Um, but I need to have my human mind because that's what makes me really intelligent. And the Cybermen, for some reason, managed to give him that. Um, it doesn't seem very Cybermen-y, but I guess they really like him. Um, so, <laughs> like, you have a charming personality, and you're kind of a Bond villain. So we'll keep you around. Um <laughs> But no, I think I think they they're just amusing themselves by turning the stroke knob to the left. <laughs> and you see him, and he's just like, "I'm doing my best." And you're just like, "Oh, Tobias Vaughn, <laughs> you're selling yourself out, friend." Um, so 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 Tobias so Watkins shoots uh, Tobias Vaughn and then passes out because Vaughn gets shot three times in the chest and doesn't go down because he's a robot, um, which I think is really cool. Um, and while this is going on, the Doctor is like, I, I'm having no luck, despite the fact that I'm a Time Lord and really intelligent. Um, I need Professor Watkins. I don't know why. Um, probably because he's like in, in, in on inter international electromatics, but really it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so 
he's like, let's go, let's go rescue Tobias Vaughn, or not Tobias Vaughn, but Professor Watkins, who we know is being moved because they're trying to mass produce this emotion inducer weapon. Um, and so we get what is possibly my favorite, one of two favorite moments in this story, which is off-camera trickery because the, the brigadier is like, all right, let's go rescue Professor Watkins. And then you cut to Tobias Vaughn's conference room, and this guy's just like, the unit troops came out of nowhere. And Watkins' entire, like, rescue the action pack, like... International Electromatics Army versus Unit completely off screen. The next time you see Watkins, he's with the Doctor. He's like, well, we just got away. And it's just, I mean, apparently it turns out that they didn't have enough time or money to film that because it was written. But I'm just like watching it and it reminiscent of another great moment that's coming up in Episode 8. But like just great, fantastic. Like we ran out of budget, so we're doing our best. But <laughs> did you like that? I mean, I loved it when I heard that. I was like, "Oh, that's so totally Doctor yeah. Who." It was. It was really, really funny <laughs> because I, I was like, <laughs> when this happened, I, I, I was because I was getting ready for that for the showdown, mm-hmm. and then when that happened, I was like, "Wait, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just <laughs> they are, are we gonna like flash back to it now or <laughs> no, nope, nope, nope. no? We're just gonna talk about Moving it. Moving forward, <laughs> the guys just like they came out of nowhere, and there were so many and tons of guns and explosions. It was nuts, and you're just like, well, thank you for showing us that, guys. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, which which means that because Professor Watkins is captured, that Vaughn uh is now limited to only the one machine, like the prototype that he has. Um, and then he, he's so angry with the guy who's telling him, which let's be honest, let's, let's all be a little angry at him for, you know, not being there when the big action sequence happens, that he just has a couple of Cybermen just shoot him down, which I think is really funny. Um, <laughs> so then the doctor working with Professor Watkins realizes the significance of the Watkins machine because he's like, oh, the, the Vaughn is going to control the Cybermen using the machine to induce emotions on them, which I think is actually a really fantastic way of uh, making the Cybermen kind of relevant because there's only so many times you can do the same thing with the Cybermen, but giving them, like, giving the bad guy a, a uh, like an emotion inducer and using it against the Cybermen who don't feel emotions, I think is really, really interesting. Um, I think that's really, mm-hmm. really, you know, it's just really cool that they keep coming up with cool ways to use the Cybermen, and even though this is, like, the fifth Cybermen appearance in three seasons, like, it still feels kind of fresh. Then again, we haven't seen the other ones yet, um, but, yeah. I I, I think they're re- being used really well here. That's just me, though. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, th- I think so, too. I, I, I actually... Um, I, I think I... Actually, I don't think. I know... I like this Cyberman story more than any of the Cyberman stories from the modern era. So, there's that. Hmm. That's interesting. I yeah. think I would agree with that. We'll probably talk about them a little bit more. Um, but I would definitely agree with that. It's not my favorite from the classic story- serials, though. I mean, I think I like Earthshock more, and I really like Tomb of the Cybermen. I think Tomb of the Cybermen is one of the best Cybermen stories that's ever been made. Probably the best, I think. I Yeah, I liked... I liked um... Earthshock a lot. I haven't seen Tomb of the Cybermen, but oh, I like so Earthshock a lot. Um, but it's uh, not because of the Cybermen. I think it's just it's just a good episode. It's like yeah. a really really great episode mm-hmm. just in general. So mm-hmm. we'll talk about that um, in a couple months. Um, so so um, basically, the Doctor just figures out all these things about the Cybermen. Like um, the like somehow he figures out that 
the, the Cybermen are planning to use cyber-hypnotic force, which the Cybermen have used previously, to take over everyone because international electromatics controls so much of the world's electro electronics business that they're able to send a frequency, like a pulse, that will just take over everyone in the world. And the Doctor's like, oh, we are running out of time and we need to fix this. So he, he sets up this, this thing that polarizes the... Uh, brain mechanics or something it's basically just techno babble techno babble that just basically solves saves the day and makes it so that you don't fall under cyber control um so while unit makes preparations for um this thing the cyber the cyberman invasion is actually starting the the cybermen are all getting into position while unit is like hastily attempting to get as many of their people on these depolarizers as possible um and while and then all of a sudden, the invasion starts, and the doctor notices that his depolarizer has fallen off, and he collapses along with the rest of the um, arrest, along with the rest of the world population. And you see everyone in the world just collapse because of the strain of this this uh, cyber control force thing. And the doctor collapses, and you're left with this really crazy thing of like uh, Zoe like sitting over the doctor, like doctor, wake up! And it's kind of a tense moment because at that moment, all the Cybermen of the uh, in the London sewers start breaking out of the sewers in this really great iconic sequence of like. They're like punching off manhole covers and they're walking down the steps of St. Paul's Cathedral and there's a great shot of them walking down the street, which I love, which we talked about last week, which is the Cybermen have shoelaces, which is phenomenal. <laughs> Did you see them? You saw them. Oh, man. Oh, that was so not, good. Not only do they have shoelaces, but they, they just have full-on work boots. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah! Like they just got off the construction yard, and <laughs> <laughs> and they're a little tired. <laughs> they're carrying their yeah. lunch pails on their stomachs. <laughs> and they're like, okay, yeah. Um, but that's where the episode ends, and I think it's actually really—it's super iconic. It's super, um, like the Cybermen win, which I think is—it's—it's it's rare that you see that because the Cybermen are all about marching in force. Like, and even in their first story, the Cybermen are all about—you know—you have to have a shot of the Cybermen marching, and. It's it's so unique to see the Cybermen here invading Earth and, you know, succeeding. It's very reminiscent of later story Doomsday, where the Cybermen totally win in the first in the last ten minutes. Or not Doomsday, but Army of Ghosts. Um, it just reminds me of that a lot. Although, you know, this is, you know, <laughs> something like 40 years before that. So it, it's kind right. of impressive. Um I like to I like to imagine um, the Cybermen walking down the street and just repeating loop, swoop, pull. <laughs> <That's good>. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I also think it's really interesting how um, <laughs> the the people in the story. Um, We'll talk about this later because I find it really fan fascinating, especially when we talk about Rose, because there's something that Russell T. Davies talked about in Rose where he um, made sure that in the first 10 minutes, everyone knows about the Autons. Maybe not about the Autons specifically, but that something weird is going on because you see the um, explosion of Rose Tyler's department store um, on television. And there's a real concerted effort in Classic Who to keep everyone in the world in the dark about what's going on, as opposed to the modern series, not so much under Moffat, but specifically under Davies, where everyone in the world is aware that something weird is going on. Um, mm -hmm. The Cybermen invasion is haunting specifically because everyone in the world is passed out and the Cybermen are basically walking through the streets un unhindered. Um, and no one in the world actually finds out what happens. They're just like, oh, we were, we were out for those 24 hours. That's kind of weird. 
Um, but I think it's really interesting how you can kind of delineate the difference between that because in the Davies era, you definitely have the Cybermen, you know, breaking into someone's home and there's the family that's all huddled in the corner while the Cybermen invade. Um, but here you have, you know, a very different sort of uh, ethos to what's going on. Yeah. Um, so we come back, and I think this is really funny, because remember how I said at the end of part six that the doctor dropped his depolarizer, and it looked like the doctor was out for the count? Well, it turns out that he just dropped his depolarizer, but they managed to get him back on in the first, like, ten seconds of the next episode, and he's like, oh, well, I'm okay now. So, that happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we get, um, some other cool stuff where, like, I, I, we haven't really mentioned Zoe all that much because she hasn't really been in it because she wasn't even in episode three. She just, you know, punked a computer. But I saw your tweet, and I have to say I love Zoe uh, also because she's not hard to look at at all. Yes. <laughs> and, and starting in this episode, she's wearing a cat suit, which I is her iconic costume, and I love the cat suit, uh, probably because I'm just your typical nerd fanboy. Um, but It appears to be the uh, the cosplay uh, the cosplay, like, uh, the Zoe cosplay costume of choice. I see that, yeah. Yeah. Outfit of choice. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I see, I saw, like, when I was looking up, like, Troughton and, and stuff, like, I would see the random picture of Troughton and, uh, and Zoe in a cat suit at, like, a con, you know? <laughs> That's so. good. I like that. Well, I, I just wanted to point out that I'm a huge Zoe fan, <laughs> partially because I really think she's one of the cutest and sexiest companions ever, which is unique because you'll have a companion who's kind of sexy, but uh, and while it's it, you know it's not it's not a secret that it is the, the companion is designed to be sexy. Zoe, as we'll see in this episode, is totally self-reliant and totally unique in that um, she really knows how to get stuff done um, when she needs to, um, and I I really mm-hmm. I think that. You know, it's so easy to just say that the companion's a pretty face. There are certain companions later, like Joe is a pretty face, but I don't... I have my own thing about Joe that makes her, you know, that I don't mind, um, specifically, because of reasons we'll get into. But, um, it's rare to see a companion who's so self-reliant, and I think Zoe is one of those great exceptions to the rule, unfortunately, of really, really reliant, uh, self-reliant companions. Not so much in the new stuff, but specifically in the old stuff, you'll have pretty useless companions. Like, even Sarah Jane. I mean, we all love Sarah Jane, but she's kind of useless sometimes, let's be honest. (laughs) Um, But I just, yeah, I just wanted to point out Zoe, because I really, really like her, as we'll see in just a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, London is completely invaded. Vaughn is completely in control of the Cybermen, or he at least demands it. Um, And... He basically tells Packer that we need to recapture Watkins so that we can get more of these emotion inducers. Um, And I really like this because you basically have an entire world that's sleeping, and the Cybermen are everywhere, um, and everyone's hanging out at the Watkins apartment, and they're like, we have to go, but... Pack, but the Tobias Vaughn's people show up and there's an attack in on, on the Watkins estate and um, Jamie goes down, Jamie gets pegged in the leg um, but they manage to get away with Watkins and the, uh, uh, the what's it called, the, the emotion inducer which completely takes Jamie out of commission for the next two episodes which is kind of funny because um, <laughs> back in the day like you, you have to understand that this sounds really obscene by nowadays standards but like for the first six seasons of the show, there were like 44 episodes in a season, which is 
ridiculous. Like, imagine them doing a show like this nowadays. Like, you just, you wouldn't see it. You only see it in soap operas. So they have to keep giving people some time off. Like, that's why the Doctor will be missing for an episode, or one of his companions will be missing for an episode. Like, Zoe is not in episode three at all, because she had some time off, so they had to write her out of the show. Um, but yeah, so Jamie mm-hmm. doesn't appear for the rest of the, pretty much the rest of the story until, like, the last scene. Um, right. So... Basically, um, TARDIS hide and seek. Yeah, which is which is fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, the the brigadier uh, basically is trying to figure out how to deal with the fact that he has no troops and he has only the doctor and his companions, one of whom is out out for the count, count and he has the Cybermen trying to invade and all this stuff. So he figures out that the Russians were about to launch a launch a rocket. So he sends his captain, Captain Turner, out to the um, out to, I guess, the Soviet Union to go <laughs> launch, put a put a warhead on a missile to launch it at a, one of the cyber controller ships just to try and get um, the the Cybermen to you know explode because we don't we don't like the Cybermen. Um, and he's also trying to get some missiles back online so that they can take out. Uh, this more cyber invaders because the Cybermen have launched more ships that they're planning on using to um, invade because all they have currently are the people who are in London. Um, so while this is going on, the Doctor's like, well, I need to distract Vaughn, so I'm going to hop in a unit jeep, which he totally does, and take it back to International Electromatics. And there's that great shot of Troughton in a truck just driving off, which I love. <laughs> um so while this is going on, the, uh, the Brigadier heads to a, a British like uh, Air Force base where they have some um, some missiles and stuff. Um, and while Captain Turner goes to Russia to get take care of this uh, missile thing. And so basically everyone's just kind of awaiting the cyber invasion and trying to work against the clock. Zoe's with the Brigadier, the Doctor's alone, and um, Vaughn finds out about the doctor's arrival as soon as the doctor gets there and there's this really great moment where the brigadier when the doctor's leaving i forgot to mention this where the doctor's leaving the brigadier's like how are you how are you going to get through london i mean the streets are crawling with cybermen doctor's like well i'll be where the cybermen are and the brigadier's like where are the cybermen not going to be and the doctor says in the sewers which i think is just brilliant like it's just again the doctor just thinking outside the box um because the cybermen were in the sewers now they're not um because who's going to be in the sewers they don't need to be in the sewers Part, the party's outside. Yeah, well, you know, in the sewer. Cybermen. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, <laughs> the doctor, um, is, uh, basically meets up with Vaughn and he starts talking to him and Vaughn's like, "Well, I'm gonna take over the world." And the doctor's like, "Are you really? You can't trust the Cybermen." Uh, which continues again the long-standing Doctor Who tradition of telling, them, telling the villain that they cannot trust the bigger villain. Um, <laughs> which Vaughn should listen, but I guess the bigger the Vaughn won't. Um. And while this is going on, uh, the Brigadier and Zoe arrive at this Air Force base and wake up everyone, and they're like, well, we have to launch these missiles to stop the cyber invaders. And <laughs> they're like, okay, we're going to launch the missiles, but we only have six missiles, and we need to take out the cyber ships, but there's like a hundred cyber ships, and how are we going to do that? And Zoe's just like, well, you should set off a chain reaction of explosions. And the guy's like, well, we can't do that. And Zoe's like, well, I can and and the guy's like, I'm not going to listen to you. And the Brigadier's like, dude, just listen to her. And Zoe's like, I can do it in 30 seconds. The guy's like, all right, whatever. So Zoe runs around with a clipboard and does something like 30-second vector geometrical calculus math. Like, ridiculous math that she does because she's from the 21st century where they can do magic math. And 
she like does this and again we we were just talking about zoe but this is exactly what i mean when i say that zoe is totally self-reliant she is totally Mm -hmm. good at you know the doctor's not even there and she can totally handle herself um in the situation and (laughs) i mean you haven't seen this but like were you shocked when she was just like i can do it in 30 seconds you're like bull crap (laughs) (laughs) well only because i didn't know anything about her right on Um, i didn't know about the microchip or anything like that so i was just like huh yeah she's she's really fantastic (laughs) i haven't seen her introduction story which is the wheel in space which coincidentally is another cyberman story which tells you how far you can go without hitting a cyberman in this era but um (laughs) Yeah, I really, I really love Zoe because she can do, like, 30-second math. And, you know, the writers aren't saying, well, let's bring in a dude to do it. They're like, well, we have a companion. Let's use the companion, um, which is something that I think Doctor Who forgets to do a lot. Um, but, you know, there are certain eras that don't forget to do that. But I really I really like the Trotton era because they really use everyone really effectively. And while we do have, like, a three-person TARDIS, you have the Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe, none of them ever feels like they're wasting space like we have in the Davison era, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. Um, so, so he manages to get the missile input into the computer, the missile guidance into the computer on time, and they launch the missiles, and they manage to blow up all the cyber invaders, like, completely, 100%, the Cybermen are not going to have a successful invasion, and... Um, the cyber controller gets on the line with Vaughn and is like, what happened? You betrayed us. There was a, there was an invasion of Cybermen that was planning, and it got blown up. And Vaughn's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, we're not giving you control. We're just going to cyber neutron bomb the planet. Hang on one second. <coughs> I've had that cough for the past hour. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> Back out of the editing zone. So we have um, the cyber controller's like, we're going to drop this bomb and Vaughn's like, you can't do that! And Troughton's like, well, what did you expect? And that's really where we end the episode, because now the Cybermen, instead of taking over the Earth, are just going to blow the crap out of it, which is also dark, um, as we were talking about last week, where the Daleks were going to blow up the world. Um, <laughs> you have the Cybermen who are just like, we'll, we'll, we'll screw it, we're just going to blow up the world. Um, and I think I think it's a really good ending, especially because... You have so many pieces juggled in the air, and we'll see this in another story, another couple stories where it seems like the story is kind of ended. Pyramids of Mars episode three is a really great one where basically the entire story is wrapped up except for one thing, and that one thing becomes the driving force for the entire rest of the episode, um, or the story for the final episode. And that's really what happens here. Like you have the the explosion happen, and then you know. By all rights and purposes, that's the end. Like, the Cybermen shouldn't be able to do anything else, but they're just like, okay, well, you don't want to play with us, we'll just nuke We'll just nuke the playground and then take our ball and go home. Which is <laughs> funny. Um, so yeah, that's episode 7. Episode 8, <clears throat> we come back to <clears throat> Vaughn being really, really pissed off at the Cyber Controller, so much so that he pulls out the Emotion Inducer and blows the crap out of this thing. <clears throat> Gosh, now I've started coughing. I can't stop coughing. Ugh, God. Okay. So he blows the crap out of the cyber controller. And then the doctor's like, well, you have to help us now. Um, the, we, need a, we need to stop the Cybermen. And Vaughn's like, screw it. I'm not helping you. You squashed my dream. And I love that Vaughn is, like, really pissed off. Because his dream is like, I want to take over the world. And he's just like, you quashed my dream. What'd you do that for? And it's like, well, maybe because you wanted to take over the world, dude. Um, but Tron's like, no, you really have to do this. And we didn't really mention this, but Vaughn's still having the cyberstroke. 
Um, to the point where, like, <laughs> one scene is literally just him with, like, one eye closed and the other eye completely open towards the end of one of the stories. I think it was, like, episode six or seven. He was totally like that. But now we get this scene where Vaughn's like, no, I'm going to fight them, not because I want to help you, but because I hate the Cybermen. And you get, like, Vaughn's right eye opening as wide as it's ever opened, which is just, like, <laughs> a moment of just, you know, Vaughn is totally in, in tune with what's going on. Like, he's he's in the zone, and he's, he's like, ready to seize the day and everything. So um, the Doctor and Vaughn um, team up, which I think is really cool, because now the villain becomes the good guy, and they're going to go to the radio transmitter. Uh, but while they're Hopefully doing not this, for long. What? <laughs> I said, although not for long. Yeah, not for not for long. Um, so they team up and they're like, "We're gonna go to the radio transmitter." And then Packer runs in, who's wearing like this Bobby helmet for no reason. Um, <laughs> and he's like, "He's like the Cybermen. They're not listening to our orders anymore. We have to, we have to go." And Vaughn's just like, "Whatever." And then the Cybermen runs into the room. And Packer's just like, see, see, and then the Cyberman murders Packer, and Packer goes down, and then the Doctor, like, ducks behind a table and turns on the emotion inducer and blows up the Cyberman. Not blows it up, but, like, sends it into, like, so much fear that it actually dies, which is, you know, it's kind of a cool moment. Hang on. Sorry, there was a fly. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, it's a really cool moment because the Doctor is, like, right there, he's... You know, he's blowing up Cybermen just like like later on, like in, in another Troughton story where the Troughton, uh, like we talked about last week, the evil of the Daleks, where he utterly and completely destroys the Daleks. Like, he's just, you know, he's he's not opposed to taking out the Cybermen when he needs to take out the Cybermen, uh, which is totally different from what we'll see later when the Doctor's just like, I'm not taking you out unless I really have to. But this is mm -hmm. like, you know, the Doctor now is still in, I'm in self-defense mode, which he starts to slowly lose as he goes on. Um... So the Russians call the brigadier, and they're like, okay, well, we're back up, um, but it'll take us 10 hours to get the missile to the cyber ship, which I think is really interesting, because normally you're just like, okay, you fire a missile, and it's over in about two minutes. But no, it's like, we're gonna, we're screwed for 10 hours. Like, you got, we got to last for 10 hours before we can do this. And while this is going on, the, doc, the brigadier also receives word from the doctor that they're going to the radio transmitter, and <clears throat> they're, they're going to try and take it out so that they can stop... Um, the Cybermen from knowing where uh, where to bomb because you know it's it's space travel you can't just you know hit a target really easy. So um, the Doctor and Vaughn arrive at the radio transmitter site and they're like, okay, well we're gonna run in and we're just gonna go we're just gonna go um, we're just gonna go fight them and we're gonna take them take them right now and Brigadier you just show up when you show up and. We get this really fantastic thing that I'm also going to YouTube because we get the really awesome unit versus the Cybermen fight while the Doctor and Vaughn attempt to get to the radio transmitter. And, <laughs> again, much like the Daleks, like, you can tell, like, this is much more high-tech. High like, last week, I, I again, I apologize because um, BBC blocked my YouTube, so I wasn't able to post them. But hopefully this one will post just fine. Uh, but... Last week you have, you know, people writing on Daleks and some really silly stuff, like, rock throwing. Like, this is just, like... Unit running through and like gunning down Cybermen and Cybermen with guns like gunning down Unit and and like Unit has a bazooka and grenades and there's like a Cyberman falling off a roof which was totally not a dummy and um <laughs> and it's just it's just this really fantastic epic sequence where they run to the radio tower and Isabel is taking pictures um as a result of all this Vaughn and the Doctor have this emotion inducer but. Vaughn gets cornered by four Cybermen and they take him out and he dies. 
Um, and the Doctor also gets gets attacked by the same Cybermen, and he starts running, and there's this really great Troughton moment where he's, he starts getting attacked. So he's, like, running and jumping away, and, like, you know, I give props. I give every prop to Pro- Patrick Troughton because, like, he is giving it his all. He is running, he's sprinting, he's jumping, he's he's just, he's so manic and so fantastic. And I've said before that um, Troughton is very reminiscent of Matt Smith in that way. And it's so mm-hmm. true. Like, if you watch it, like, all the manic energy that Matt Smith is channeling in the current series, like, you can trace it right back to Troughton more than any other Doctor. Um, and which, I, is, which is especially um, interesting considering Matt Smith had never seen an episode of the show before. Right. Um, and it, yeah, it's totally, it's totally true. And like, it's just, it's just that sort of thing where like, I mean, I love Matt Smith, not because he has my name, but because he's just totally fantastic. And it's channeling one of my favorite doctors like Troughton to this day is one of my favorite doctors, despite being how important he is. He just brings that manic energy that every doctor as we go through and talk is going to bring something new to the table. Um, Troughton, more than anyone, brings in this manic energy that the Doctor has basically all the way through to the mo- – especially in the modern series where the Doctor's able to, like, run around like a madman. Um, mm-hmm. Troughton brings that. And, like, remember that Troughton is, like, 52 when he's doing this show, probably closer to 55, actually. And, like, every time that Troughton shows up, Troughton is giving it 100% in – um. Like, The Two Doctors, which was made in, like, 1986, and Patrick Troughton died in... No, not 1986, 1985, and Troughton passed away in 1987. Like, Troughton's still in that story sprinting, and the guy's, like, 60-something at that point. It's just... It's it, it it's a real testament to this guy that really gave it his all and really showed up um, with bringing his everything to the table, despite the fact that he was very unhappy working on the show because he was working, like, 45... 40 something weeks a year at an acting job which is totally just straining and draining and and he was still bringing it to the table despite what he thought about the show which i think is just so fantastic um and then unit shows up and rescues him and he just sits there while isabel takes his picture which is fantastic um <laughs> and then we cut back to the airplane that unit is based in and and the brigadier is like well we saved the day which <laughs> continues the trend of things not happening on camera the worst of which we're about to see and um he's like we saved the day but there's still the cyber ship that's going on in the um that's in the sky and we have to we have to use the russian missile to blow it out of the water um and but the russian missile is still six hours away which i think is really interesting because despite the fact that the cybermen have been defeated on earth we still have this thing we have six hours left to kill um, but it turns out that the cyber ship has moved and is much closer to the planet at this point, and the Russians are able to move their missile, um, and they have about 15 minutes before they hit the ship, um, and while this is going on, the Cybermen have started dropping their bomb, and... Uh, they have this great moment where we have more stock military footage of these missiles being fired at this at this uh, cyber megatron bomb that's going to basically blow up the planet and <laughs> the unit fires at the bomb and there's this great shot where this guy like is like okay it looks like that one was wide but we'll fire the next one so they fire the next one and the guy basically watches it and he's like okay it looks like it's on the button we got it we got it this shot like this static shot of them just like staring at the guy for about five seconds then he goes 
we've done it okay that's good and everyone starts <laughs> cheering and like again like it's probably it's totally because they couldn't like afford to show the big explosion because they're about to show another big one but like the guy's just like sitting there he's staring and he's like we've done it and then everyone's like yay there's no like you know like missile beep or anything like that or like long far away off heard this explosion the guy's just like all right we did it <laughs> you know, I laughed. Did you laugh? I laughed. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, but that's not it. Like they still have to defeat the cyber ship, and and they still have twelve minutes before it hits. And I think this is really interesting because it really hammers away the point um, that I was mentioning earlier that nothing happens really fast. Like if they think that it's going to happen, if it's going to take twelve minutes for this missile to hit the rock to hit the cyber ship. They're going to make it wait 12 minutes, and the Brigadier even says the longest 12 minutes of your life. And it really, like, it it makes it makes this thing which is like, yes, they're being really silly in a sci-fi context, but the Doctor's about to become really closely associated with the military. And it really points out the, point, the fact that um, he's still kind of dealing with it in a very realistic military context because they do sit around for 12 minutes, not on screen, but, like, you still see them, like, sitting around, and it's very tense, like waiting to see if this rocket will actually do the work and i really love this again because it's just it you know you don't see that very often like you you cut away to something else and then you cut back and they're like okay well we're watching the thing explode now but no they actually wait around for 12 minutes and everyone's just kind of like it's really intense and it's very much like is it gonna work and you know of course it works um, and the the ship explodes, and there's a great explosion, which we actually finally see an explosion, and um, and, and that was their budget. Yeah, that's, that's it. You know, it, it's a cheap you know model, and they blew the budget on that, and they couldn't because of that. We didn't get some more crazy action sequences, although I will say that the unit assault on that radio tower is a totally fantastic action sequence. Like I really loved that one. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so so that's that's basically it. And uh, Isabel apparently starts dating this guy named Jimmy. Uh, we never see either of them again. And the doctor and Jamie, Jamie's fine now. And doctor and the doctor gets the circuits repaired, and they they go out to a field and they look for the TARDIS, <laughs> and it's invisible. So I love how they 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 they're like, all right, break, and they all stretch out their arms and wander around the field. <laughs> and Troughton, like again, Troughton, like fifty-five-year-old dude, just like walking around a field with his arms outstretched like some blind man. You know, like it's just really, really, really well done. And then they so basically the doctor like finds the TARDIS and in one of those really great moments of comedy where he like leans up against it and his armor disappears and he go- he goes in and he makes the TARDIS available and then they wave goodbye to Isabel and um and Jimmy and they get and they go on the next adventure which is uh, I haven't seen but it's called the Crotons they wanted to share with that that with us so that's really it there you go that's that's the invasion um so what did you think Scott I I I love this story I didn't like it as much this time because I've seen so much goodness since then but I still think it's a blast despite being eight episodes oh yeah it definitely is um and it's you know even though it's eight episodes and it could definitely be shorter oh yeah um, in a lot of places because there's a lot of repetition uh, just like the Daleks but it doesn't feel as long as the Daleks despite mm-hmm. it being an episode longer mm-hmm um, so, you know, so that, that's definitely good. And like I said, the cinematography in this was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked how, uh, how, how it, it just, it felt a lot more modern. Yes. Um, than the Daleks does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it just, it, it was great. And, and, you know, Vaughn is a great villain. Fantastic. Um, One of my favorite all time Doctor Who villains. 
Yeah, yeah, he's a lot of fun, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, you know, you can't go wrong with a <laughs> a funny uh, a villain sidekick like Packer. Uh, yeah, Packer. Yeah, Packer is great. Uh, Cyber shoelaces, fantastic. Great Cyberman uh, story, like really, really strong. Um, you'd think that it would be they'd run out of time, but they really, I, I think they really did totally save like a really great story for last. I mean, you know, Tomb of the Cybermen aside, because that's just like, let's go invade a Cyberman, a tomb where a bunch of Cybermen are, which, you know, is as awesome as it sounds. Like, you still have, like, they saved the best for last, which is the Cybermen invading Earth. Like, I think that's a really uh-huh. good choice. Yeah, and it's, I, I'm I'm assuming that it's it's sort of the uh, Cyberman answer to the Dalek invasion of Earth, mm-hmm. um, which was the, the Hartnell story, which is, you know, it's just funny because it's it's like the Daleks were sort of Hartnell's villain, and then the Cybermen are sort of uh, uh, Troughton's villain. Yeah, very um, much. And I don't, know, yeah, I don't know if that was being done on purpose mm-hmm. or or what, but that's definitely how it feels. And so you, you know, in the... I Was, was the Dalek invasion of Earth, was that... That was just like second season of Hartnell, right? Yeah, that was the second. That was the second story of his second season. It's a little bit different because uh, the Doctor and uh, Susan and Ian and Barbara. Sorry, I'm not in that headspace right now. Um, they show up and and the the Earth's already been invaded and it's been invaded for like ten years, which is kind of crazy. Um, okay. So it's a little bit different, but I see exactly what you mean. Um, I think it's more just because like. The, the Cybermen, when they first show up, um, I, I would also like to point out really quickly that um, the Cybermen of this story are very different from the Cybermen of the modern era because those Cybermen come from like this alternate universe that is very similar to ours but a little bit more advanced. And it's that makes more sense to me than the original uh, version of the Cybermen, which we see here, which is that Earth had a twin planet that orbited the sun, and then the twin planet decided, I'm not going to stay in the solar system, so I'm just going to go out and explore the universe. Because <laughs> that happens. Yeah, you know, like, planets just... You know, sometimes planets got to go away from home. They got to move out. <laughs> um, and so then the, this planet comes back, and the planet is filled with Cybermen because people have basically gotten rid of, you know, their need for emotion and all that stuff. Um, and while I think that's really kind of cool, it's total camp. Like, it's just like... Like it's so silly to the point where it's just like, okay, guys, that that's a bit beyond the realm of believability. Where you have like Mondas, which is Mondas, like as a planet, is Earth, like literally Earth, with the same continental spread and like the same mass and everything, and it starts siphoning off like like time and like energy off of Earth. It's it's very silly, but. I really think that, like, because that one isn't really so much an invasion story. This is very much more, like, along the lines of what I really like to see the Cybermen do, which is just invade a place. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's Earth. Like, this is this is really the last great hurrah of the Cybermen, um, especially from their era, because they don't really appear for another, like, seven years until uh, the very unfortunate Tom Baker story, Revenge of the Cybermen, and then um, the really excellent Davison story seven years later called Earthshock, um, which we'll talk about in a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's again, it's one of my favorite stories. It comes from one of my favorite eras. Troughton era is one of my three favorite all-time eras of Doctor Who, specifically in the classic series. Um, and I love Troughton. I mean, I know that your Troughton experience is limited, but I, I, what are your thoughts on Troughton? You, you like? Him? I, I I love Troughton. Oh, I think yeah. I think he's great. He's mm-hmm. he's he's fantastic. Um, you know, if uh, if I had to, I mean, if I if I had a had to choose like a, a favorite classic mm-hmm. Doctor, it would be. 
um, Davison with with Troughton like right behind. Yeah, like, Troughton. Troughton's fantastic. Same with me. Like I I could really say that you know like after watching some of his stories, um, Troughton is one of the few classic doctors who has actually made me cry. Um, but and that you know you make you make me cry and I'm I'm you know I'm I'm putty in your hands like I'll just I'll tout your praises forever. Um, so Troughton is totally one of my one of my favorite doctors too. Um, totally top four. Total like of the classic series. Totally I'm right with you right there right behind Davison. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it and we'll have some more of him um, coming up uh, hopefully soon. It's, it's just really unfortunate that most of his stuff is missing. Yeah, I really wish it was Tom Baker instead. Oh, Tom Baker burn, all you Tom Baker fans. Had to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I really, I'm most sad about the Troughton being missing. Like, I could, I could handle the Hartnell, but, you know, you're missing a bunch of stories. Like, Power of the Daleks, which is his first story, is to me probably the best all-time Dalek story that's ever been, and it's totally missing, and it's ve- it's so unfortunate. Uh, people would say Genesis of the Daleks, but I tell you, that's not a Dalek story. So, there it is. Yeah, it's it's true, it's not. It's, it's a totally a, a Davros and Nazi story. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Can't wait to talk about that one in a couple of weeks. Scaro Nazis. Oh, I love Scaro Nazis. Collins. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait for that one. That's one of the ones that I've been meaning to rewatch for like a year at this point, and it's Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, so that's that's the invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope you guys like you enjoyed our uh, conversation of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, what do we got? Uh, what do we got next week? Uh, next week we have something called Doctor Who and the Silurians, which is probably the second to last time you're ever going to hear me call it that because that's a stupid title. Um, next uh, next week I'll mention it again. But uh, we're we're watching the Silurians, which is a seven part. Pertwee's story from Pertwee's first era, or first season, um, which I think is a really uh, miraculous season. It's just fantastic. It, it's really good. And we're watching it because I want to talk about Unit, and uh, it's important to talk about Unit, and I don't think Unit's ever been better than they have been in uh, the Silurians. Uh, really great ending. We got a really interesting companion in Liz Shaw, which I have my own problems with, but I think is really cool, but I also have problems with. Uh, we have more Brigadier. We have, you know, Silurians, which everyone loves because uh, we just had it in the most recent season. And I just sure. noticed that this episode is running long. I am so sorry, but <laughs> long stories <laughs> mean we have to take a long time. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully next week will be a little bit shorter. Um, but it's really, it's really quite fantastic. Um, I really enjoy it despite being seven episodes i really think that it's not as awful as it could be certainly there have been pertwee stories that have been shorter and much more fillery um but it's it's a it's a really good story i think you'll enjoy it i think the people watching at home will enjoy it it's not pertwee's best but it's pretty solid and it's got to me one of the darkest endings of a doctor who story probably the darkest pertwee ending um but you'll see why when you watch it all right, fantastic. Um, also, guys, uh, this week there will be a new episode of Geekin out on Wednesday. Uh, last week we talked about uh, Geekin Extra being the Why the Last Man uh, thing. Well, uh, Randy had a death in family, so he couldn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're actually doing that this week. If you go back, it's actually our uh, Trailer Geek episode that I did with uh, John Pavlich, um, where we talk about movie trailers and whatnot. So go back and listen to that. Uh, movie Night at Geek Show last week was Career Opportunities. This week is it's The, uh, the Secret of Kells, which is like an animated thing. On uh, Netflix, it's streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, go check out all that stuff at geekshowentertainment.com and leave comments on this episode. Let us know what you think mm-hmm. of the the new format. Um, I, I, yeah, I saw and, some I saw some comments earlier, and I was I was pretty excited. I sh- I had a bunch of people listen to it, and they all seemed to enjoy it. And I I listened back, and I enjoyed it. So 
I, I thought it was fun. Hopefully we get a little bit better and a little bit shorter. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can't talk enough. Um, <laughs> um, where where can uh, people find you on the on the interwebs? Oh, okay. Well, I'm twitter.com slash gungadin, um, and I'm also at uh, classicalgallifrey.blogspot.com where I review an old story every week. This week is Time Flight, and hopefully it's good. I haven't started writing it yet, but uh, hopefully it turns out okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can you can find me at uh, twitter.com slash scottcorelli, and then don't forget to email the show tdc at geekshow.us and uh, leave iTunes reviews, mm-hmm. preferably five-star ones. <laughs> we Just, like those. You know. Also, yeah. one more thing. Um, if you are interested in watching some old stories along with us, um, we're not going to tell you to watch all of them. Silurians, you can really skip. Um, I mean, it's not – I mean, if you watch it, you'll have fun. But if you want to watch one, um, we're talking about it in two weeks, uh, Genesis of the Daleks. I really recommend everyone going and watching it because uh, you'll just – you'll be blown away by how crazy good it is. It, yeah. If you've got a Netflix account, it you know you can get the DVD. It's not on streaming or anything. Unfortunately, but. a lot of it's not on streaming. But we'll, we'll try and mention – I know that someone on the, on the site said uh, they wanted to know when the instant ones are. We'll, we'll try and point it out. There's not a lot, unfortunately. But what is on streaming? I mean, I've looked at it, and their their streaming choices are actually pretty good. If you want to watch those, um, mm-hmm. like K- it also varies a lot. Yeah, like they, they. Although, if you yeah, want they... to see a really great Trout and story on streaming, um, the one that ju- came just before this is on streaming. It's called The Mind Robber. It's only five parts, but it is it is so much fun. It and the first episode, the ending of the first episode, will blow your mind. Um, I recommend that one if you wanted to watch like an instant of Trout. Alright, awesome. Alright guys, uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.